here we are, Steve Maxwell Jr. and Ray Byrne. Thanks. Thanks, Ralph. All right, so, yeah, I do a lot of podcasts, and uh, we've got them up on YouTube. Just look up uh, Maxwell Drum Shop, and uh, you can see all kinds of cool stuff. But we haven't done one yet, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we kind of go back a little bit. We've been buddies. Uh, you used to be kind of from around this neck of the woods. You want to talk about maybe... Yeah. Just, yeah, well, like, like how, you, how you got into symbol making, a little bit about, you know, what got you started. <clears throat> So I actually, I saw your band play at least once in a small town nearby, uh, Jazz Combo, and what, what's the name of that place? Is it still there? Elburn, yeah. El, yeah, well, Old Elburn I mean, Hall. The, the, okay. <laughs> the city of Elburn is still, still there, there. thankfully. <laughs> but uh, I, my original shop and where I lived was in farm country, really just 15 minutes from here. And so what's ironic about the show having moved back out here is that I moved three years ago to Cleveland. So... Otherwise, I'd have you all over to my house uh, to see the shop and all the chickens I used to have, but I'm no longer there. <laughs> but uh, the, the connection was made uh, with us and then also uh, with Noah, who's right over there. Noah, if you want to say yeah, hi. Yeah, good friend Noah. Hey. <laughs> uh, yeah, he works at Maxwell's and uh, <laughs> Noah's a great guy and he also did some uh, work for me for a while. Um, I had him do all the least favorite things of, of symbol smithing and... <laughs> Um, in, in the end, I remember the last day he worked for me before I moved, I told him the symbol you hammered out, it's, I, it's indiscernible between one of my own or, or yours. So um, he's a real threat. I'm going to have to do something to, to yeah. prevent him from, from taking over my business. So. Yeah. We're lucky to have Noah. <laughs> yeah. No, he's great. <laughs> he's the best. He's great. So, so yeah, um, maybe just could you maybe describe like your process? Because I, I know your symbols... I've really seen them evolve, and thankfully, so have I. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You were—I mean, every show there's probably a couple symbol smiths. This one more yeah. than ever sure. before, yeah. at least in my memory. But uh, I remember you probably what like because I, I saw you at the show before you came to my trio uh, or yeah. quartet play. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, just. So yeah, tell me a little bit about like the evolution and the process. You know, don't give away too many secrets, but <laughs> yeah, sure. So, uh, I've been in business as Burn Symbols for uh, now seven years. Uh, this this past month, so I'm seven years into it officially as a business. But I started modifying symbols and uh, really just destroying symbols going back to when I was 13. Uh, you know, I think one of the the great things about our instrument uh, drum set is it can it can be continuously modified and changed and you can swap things out and there's just so many different textures and colors that that you can bring into play you know if uh, you've seen in Chipotle's marketing uh, that they'll, they'll tell you there's at least 65,000 different ways to, to get something at Chipotle but there's only a couple dozen ingredients behind the counter right because it's just the way you mix it up or add or subtract things and and that kind of thing when you think of uh, the drum set it's nearly infinite and I think that adds sort of a mystique to the the instrument that we play yeah right that on. it can be modified and you can you can swap things out but the other part of the mystique of of drums, um, not to hate on drums themselves, but most of us probably feel that way about cymbals, that there's just something elusive. There, there's a perfect cymbal out there. You've never found it, but it must exist. So you go on the hunt 
and, and you keep on looking and looking and sometimes you get close and then after a while, you know, it's really interesting, symbols change. Um, they are kind of a, a consumable product in, in a long lifespan kind of sense. Um, in many of the ways that like acoustic guitars are, you know, like pre-war Martin guitars. Because I also, I have a background as a luthier. I, I did guitar repair and building. I didn't for, know that. Oh, okay. That's actually, so that's part of the evolution. So I'll give you a quick timeline. So nice. 13, I start messing around with cymbals, start wrecking cymbals, trying to hammer them in my parents' basement with like a, a regular builder's hammer and trying to put rivets in and that kind of thing. And my interest in instrument building just grew and grew to the point where I started trying to do basic repairs on friends' guitars. And then when I was 19, much to my parents' displeasure, I quit college and I went to the Roberto Venn School of Luthery in Phoenix, Arizona. It's the oldest guitar building school in America. And then for the next roughly 11, 12 years, I, I, my full-time job was in guitar repair as a drummer, <laughs> go figure. Um, but as a drummer, I was always very well connected to guitars to play with, so in a way, it, it made perfect sense. Um, of course, I, I play a little bit of guitar, but not, not nearly as well. So uh, the, the heart pull was always to go back to uh, drums and cymbals. There's always sort of that mystery of cymbals. And then, what, you know, there's like those moments in your life where, where something changes and you, you remember the moment. I can remember where I was sitting the first time I saw uh, the short Roberto Spitzacchino documentary on Vimeo. Some of you have seen that. And I was like, I know what I want to do now. Like, nice, yes, yeah, Spiz is a big influence for you. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. Is a, this is like, this is possible. Because I felt, you know, as much as I knew, just as a lay person, as far as it was concerned in the manufacturer, it's such a big manufacturing process and you need to be able to melt metal and do all these, you know, really, you know, big machinery type of things to be able to produce a symbol. But it opened my eyes to the realization that you could, you could actually, you could order symbol blanks. There's companies willing to sell you raw bronze and you can work with it from there and you can use it as sort of a blank canvas to, to work with and move Yeah, you don't towards. have to have a foundry. Right? Yeah, so that mystery of the symbol that doesn't exist, uh, when you get down into that level where now you're trying to make the symbol that doesn't exist, um, you, you take like 20 steps back <laughs> because you realize making symbols in one way, the manufacture of symbols, you could say, well, it looks like a relatively simple process. You know, once you have the blank that you're hammering it, you're giving it shape and you're lathing it. But there's there's so many levels and so many small variances in literally every part of the process that, again, just having to be self-taught. You know, I watched as much as was out there on YouTube, watching factory tour videos on YouTube and that kind of thing, but there, there's not a book. You know, there's nothing that you can really, so I just had to, to ruin a bunch of material and keep on making mistakes until I found something I was comfortable with. Did you start, like, Mod you said early on you were modifying symbols. I use that term lightly. <laughs> sure, it, probably yeah. like what, like Zildjian's or yeah, whatever. I mean, whatever <clears throat> I could get my hands on. Most of my most of the symbols I had were were, you know, I, I was a kid. Sure, you know, so they were they were like hand me down B eight type of of symbols. So I I try and hammer on them to th thinking that I could, you know, alter them in some way or, uh, you know if you've all tried adding rivets to a symbol, that kind of thing, you know, feeling like, oh, this is really gonna, this will <laughs> sure. put it over the edge. <laughs> you right. know, this will do it. It needs something, <laughs> yeah. something. Just something. 
five rivets in a cluster that make no sense right here. That's what I should do. So it was stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, so um, you, uh, where, where is, are you located now? Can you remind me? Again? I'm on the east side of Cleveland. Okay, nice. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you're liking it out there? <laughs> yeah, well, so going from a rural to a very urban environment, it's, it's very different. So my, my shop now, uh, it, it's, it's a very small space. It's really the size, my primary shop space is the size of one of the exhibitor booths. It's really tight. So it's a, it's a double-walled, soundproof room, rubber nice. flooring, tons of insulation and that kind of thing. You know, really no ventilation, so it gets really hot in there. But uh, yeah, it's, it's cool. I mean, I do all my hammering and lathing in there and other tooling and other stuff is, is outside the room and other areas. Sure. So I have a very patient wife to allow me to have that actually inside our, our house, our residence. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, think, like, think back, uh, what's like maybe a symbol that you remember that you played on that you really, really liked? Like just, just to get an idea of like, you know, because uh, yeah. like, what kind of style of music do you usually play when you're when you're drumming? So, yeah, I I would like to. I really don't. My life is very busy, so I don't really. Ironically, I don't really have much of an opportunity to play. Sure. <laughs> um, I'd like to think of myself as uh, as more of a jazz musician. I'm actually but, kind of the same. <laughs> yeah. But then the I've shop. seen you play, and I've seen other guys that are so talented. I'm like, I don't even know if I should say I play drums. It's <laughs> I'm more of a drum admirer <laughs> that, that, that incidentally um, happens to try to play. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, that's, that's the nuance, though. That's what I'm, you know, in terms of, like, what I listen to, the kind of music I listen to, that'd probably be a better way to answer the question. Yeah, yeah, sure. Every day I'm listening to like Bill Evans, Brad Meldow, and oh, nice. of course, yeah. <laughs> the, you know, the drummers that go with those guys. So yeah, you um, make some great like jazz symbols. So <clears throat> yeah, uh, thanks. Yeah, I tell thanks you've been checking that. out the records, you know? Yeah. So that's, trying to get that's that the listening that I'm doing of what I'm trying to steer my symbols towards primarily. So, so like uh, old K's, you know, like that, that sound, when were you first kind of exposed to that? Yeah, just uh, again coming off Bender's thing, you know. I figure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, again, just through 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 my youth, and actually, the way I ended up playing drums as a kid, my dad's best friend from childhood played drums, and he had a number of drum sets in his basement, and he had a ton of gear in his basement, and tons of cymbals in his basement, and he had old K's and, and that kind of thing. So. I mean, probably like a lot of you uh, have a lot of drums in somewhere in your house and there's some kid that comes over and sees all of it and is just overwhelmed by it and is like, man, this is awesome. So it was always exciting when we go over there and, uh, and, and get to sit behind that kid. So sure. Yeah, that was, that was, I think that was the initial pull of course to, towards drums and him having older Zildjian cymbals was, but you know, it, Again, I would I would say that there wasn't any one thing because there's there's always that hunt, there's always that sense for some other texture that you're looking for, uh, and and there's so much nuance to symbols that it's really hard to nail down, you know, one thing. So, yeah, yeah, <clears throat> uh, you brought some some good stuff this year. I haven't seen your stuff yet, but I, yeah. I can't wait. Yeah, and, no, your uh, dad sat by the booth though, so you nice. got to make it too. <laughs> Anything uh, like? 
that you've never done before? Like, I, I don't think I've ever seen, no, maybe I have. Have you ever done like Chinas or? So there's a reverse China. There's a 22 nice. inch reverse China. I might have seen like rivets. one of yours before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I really, I really like reverse Chinas. Um, you know, they're rideable, they breathe more. They don't have like that rigidity. I mean, that's just a personal preference. Yeah. I like the, the tonality of how you can play it. Um, so I have a, a, a 22 inch reverse China at the booth. Um, just experimenting uh, with some different things. Uh, they got two symbols at the booth. Uh, that the the bottoms are lathe, uh, but the tops. What I did, I just tried burnishing the top only, um, where I would just take the the hammer and I would just with it against my hip. I'd lean into it with the lathe running and and burnish the top. And you can kind of see very faint lines. Oh, okay, but just sure. To, just to try and what I was what I'm experimenting with there is how I can build tension into the top in a, in a different way. Do you ever use so. just like a dowel, like a wood dowel? No, I haven't tried that. That's I don't know thing. if that would be hard enough to really compress the bronze, but yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Matt, Matt does that sometimes. It was oh, really? Something that he. Okay. Yeah, yeah I didn't know that. Yeah. He, he showed us early on. He was. He said, "If you don't want to take weight off, but want to add a little really? bit of tension." Okay. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Noah? <laughs> does it make a difference? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. It definitely gets really hot. It gets very, very oh, sure. heats up the yeah, all that quite friction. A bit. You, yeah. you got to put like a lot of, a lot of effort into it. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen your lathe. I'd love to. Is there like a, a video of you? There has to be a video of you lathing on on YouTube. There's somewhere. not a clear video of my lathe. <laughs> I should I should take some pictures. I'll send them to you, or I'll put something awesome, up. Man. What I've done, uh, just kind of health and safety concerns with the shavings and that. Yeah, um, yeah. because it's in my house. Uh, I built a sort of plastic sheeting that goes from the ceiling down to a funnel on you know the sides and behind uh, where where the symbol is, and I have a what's a, actually a, a wood dust collection system for like a wood shop, and it pulls down all the all the shavings and the dust, uh, and it goes into a secondary collection. It's a big you know trash can, yeah. And when that fills up, I bag it and save it up, and eventually I take it into scrap. So yeah, you got to be careful. <laughs> yeah, but it keeps the shop clean that way. There's less dust. You know, right. the Turkish blanks are, are very come very dirty. Uh, so you know, obviously you can wash them off, but still, there's there's it produces. Do you always use Turkish blanks? You know, my first maybe 30 symbols were from a Chinese supplier, um, but the shipping took a really long time. Um, the the blanks were extremely heavy. The, I, I had to remove so much material. Sure. It just wasn't. I've had a couple of those. I know yeah, <laughs> it just wasn't. It wasn't really productive. So uh, it was just easier in the communication and the turnaround time and all that with Turkish suppliers. But you know, nice. getting quality materials is also that's one of the biggest challenges because I'll I'll receive materials and there's a lot of stuff that I won't use that I'll reject. You know that there will be there will be too many issues with it but sure and that's just i think that's going to continue to be a struggle to, right to get really have you ever done uh, flat rides i have yeah i've nice, got a, there's nice. a lot of flat rides out there I, did you bring any today i did not i did okay. not yeah. <laughs> just curious yeah. Yeah. yeah i'm always uh i like flat rides they're interesting yeah don't have one right now so <laughs> uh, well i know a guy i know several guys that, that, sure. that might have some at the show right now yeah, you should go check out in a good so. spot for for looking for symbols yeah. so yeah um i mean yeah do you have any like anything else you want to talk about like your your method and and how you you know achieve your your results yeah so the way again as a self-taught symbol smith i kind of think of 
uh, I think of it as building it in layers um, when, I'm, when I'm making a symbol. It's, if I was going to compare it to something as like an analogy, uh, my Irish grandmother uh, grew up in an all-Italian neighborhood in 1930s Chicago. So we grew up with a different food culture, uh, thankfully, than, than whatever we would have gotten, I guess, from, from Ireland. But, um, you know, she would, she'd make sauce and it would, uh, she'd sear pork neck bones and then she'd add the tomatoes and then she'd add the, the crushed garlic and she'd tear up basil by hand and then later she'd add other stuff and you know there'd be red wine, there'd be some parmesan and it, it would happen over a course of time and that would just simmer all day. Nice. And it was, <laughs> it was just the most beautiful complex you know, flavor and I haven't, had, I haven't had a good pasta sauce since she passed away. I mean that's the, that's the sure. God's honest truth. And so I compare my, my symbol making in a sim similar way that I build in layers. I go from heavier, flatter hammers to more pointed uh, because of the different compression. Um, same thing with lathing, same thing with using um, heat, same thing with using uh, burnishing, compression, uh, that kind of thing where I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of building it in layers, I'm letting it rest, I'm letting it kind of do its thing. Because as uh, symbol smiths will tell you, the symbol fresh off the lathe versus the next day versus weeks and even months later will sound totally different. Yeah, they you change. Know? Yeah, they do change. <laughs> and sometimes I know if I'm, I'm sending something to someone who's especially you know, going to be discerning about the symbol, I'll, I'll wait, you know, I'll wait a month and just keep it. And I'll, I'll keep on, I'll come back, you know, maybe once a week and kind of listen to it to make sure I'm comfortable um, b before I ship it out to them. Do people ask you for like custom orders that are like from like, maybe like, like I want the sound of this symbol from this record. Does that happen a lot for you? I, I don't know. I, know. I know some guys try and market that kind of an aspect. Sure, but sure. Symbols... Eric was talking about that. Yeah, really. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he brought that I mean, up. How the... it's, it's a cool aspect of having so many custom symbol makers that, you yeah. Know. You know, the, the truth is, is that symbols sound so different from, from the player's perspective to a few feet out in the room, to the other side of the room, to how they're mic'd, if they're sure. in the studio. I mean, it's, it's really difficult. So I'll, I'll ask more questions. If someone asks that, I ask more questions and I kind of try and guide them through um, what maybe what they really want versus what, you know, what they think. Yeah, they like think what you they're think describing. Because then there's want. like the microphone that was used, and there's the room it was in. Yeah, there's all yeah. Which I don't. Variables. I'm not an expert on those things, but I, I just <laughs> you just want to get as many questions answered and not sure. rush the process and, and make sure that it's it's really what they're looking for. Um, but if I could if, just refer, there's a couple of QR codes behind me. You can only focus your camera on one at a time. But one, if you're really interested, on the left is uh, for my mail list. Um, I don't send out a lot of mail, but if you're just interested in, in new things, um, oh, and then it went away. And the, uh, if we can get that little, back, uh, yeah, is it, it rotate? We, we do and, have, we've got like 10 minutes, so you can, okay. what's the other one? And then the, the other one is uh, my free app for iOS, um, totally free, there's no, uh, there's no pop-ups, there's no like, you know, download this game for... Yes. An, three dollars a month or anything like that it's just a totally free app it's the symbol weight calculator so it ca categorizes uh symbol weights and what weight range they would fall in so you can enter the size and the weight in grams there's uh the symbol bow slider and bell selector and it's it's just a fun educational tool um sure i 
ironically, I feel like people put too much into symbol weight because there's so much else going on in how sure. it's manufactured. Um, <laughs> so I wouldn't want to mislead you into thinking that that's the most important thing. But so many people ask about it and so many people have <laughs> an interest in it. I want 1905 grams. Exactly. Yeah. Five grams. Yeah. And then there's like, I feel like a little burr on the edge and I've got to lay that off. And now it's, you know, 1902. I got to start over. Start over. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's, that's a free app. And some, some people, they, they think the gram weight thing is just completely silly. Other people th are, are totally obsessed with it. As a shop like guy, yeah. I can tell you that we use it for inventory. That's actually the reason we have to use it. That's because it's how you keep track of the symbols. So that's smart. Yeah. yeah, it's like. And so I've actually I've started um, since I have a laser engraver. Underneath near the bell, I've started engraving, our, you know, the stamp, my signature, and the series in the size and weight. Nice. It's, it's just another way to identify symbols the same way. Yeah. But yeah. because it's a question people have, so instead of writing it in Sharpie or whatever, I was like, oh, I'll just sure. engrave it on there. <laughs> that's so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, um, tell me like something maybe that we can expect from you like some some like great uh you know like thing in the future maybe like next uh next couple of months like what are you working on what's uh, an innovation that you're that's that like you're a lot of pressure i know yeah <laughs> yeah you're on the on the hot seat here yeah. <laughs> that's right man wow uh wow gee um make mom proud um i know, ask the hard questions <laughs> i really is a is a craftsman kind of business the the struggle is between you know, it's not a, the honest truth is it's not a full-time job. You know, it's a, it's a passion business. And what I want to put into it, I, I'd like to start steering the business in a way where I'm actually going to start making less um, because I want to start focusing more on, on individual symbols, take more time with them, which I already do, but I, I, I just want to do that more so. Sure, sure. Um, and, and have a greater focus. Also, you know, I got really into series uh, to be honest, uh, because of, of marketing purposes to mm -hmm. help the players, customers understand like, okay, like this is a vintage series. This is a heritage series. This is whatever. Um, but I would just, I would like to just get to a point where, uh, I'm having more, giving myself more, uh, freedom, you know, to, to, to just try different things without sure. having to roll it out and name it and market it with, you know what I mean? Some kind of a name, you know, it's just like, this is a symbol. If you like it, here it is. Sure. That kind of a thing. So Yeah. Can, can you tell me a little more about the hammers that you used? Mm -hmm. I just, I'm always curious because there's, I've, there's some guys that almost everyone has like a modified hammer that they like made themselves yeah. that they really like. Uh, do you, uh, some people even use like a, like a small, like hatchet type, type deal. Yeah. What, what do you use? I, I, I use a Turkish hammer. Oh, okay, yeah, nice. You've got yeah, like... Yeah, someone sent me uh, just the hammerhead from Turkey. Okay. And so, you know, put it on a, a hammer handle and... And they're pretty, they're kind of long and front-weighted, right? Yeah, it's all towards the front. Yeah. yeah. And I've, I actually, I did, when I lived out here and I lived in the country, I had a close friend who was a blacksmith. Okay. A professional blacksmith. And um, I had him make me a couple hammers that they didn't really do what I wanted them to do. But, of course, you can change the shape of the hammer, the face of the hammer 
modify it, buff it out, I mean, you know, start over again. Um, but using different weights in, in that of hammers, but my primary hammer is really just a, a Turkish symbol hammer. Yeah, I need to get one of those. Yeah. <laughs> what are the, it, it's like, it, it seems like it gives you really good leverage, so you can get yeah. a really good hit every time with, without you, destroying your, yeah. you <laughs> your should, wrist. You just call up one of your guys. You know what, I bet you uh, Leon would send you one. Actually, he, he offered, he never did, but yeah. he just offered. Just follow up with him. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. Yeah, You're like you know who I am. I'm Steve Maxwell. I, I, I need I need a hammer. <laughs> yeah, they're they're great. Yeah, uh, we, we've guy. been selling a couple of their symbols. They're a lot of really thin, kind of like yeah. kind of washy symbols, but it's good stuff. Yeah, not ultra complex, but you know you don't always want that. Yeah, yeah your your stuff. I, I would say I use like different additives to describe symbols, but I really like the one complexity. Mm -hmm. To me, that means some people would call it even like like trashiness there's some of that but I'm for me complexity <laughs> sure yeah as, you can see. Can be, yeah. <laughs> as well but yeah the like being able to get like different tones out of the symbol that's really important to me yeah but what about for you like like when you're playing a symbol what's something that like you you really are always looking for when you're just trying something out and yeah i think a good balance between stick and wash is is really important sure um you know, I'm really hard on myself with my own symbols. It's one of those things where I don't even know if I like my own symbols. <laughs> sure, sure. You know, uh, I play them, I listen to them, and I set them to rest, and I come back to them like, I just don't know. I, you know, it's, it's really hard. But then someone else might really like that one. Yeah. It's... Well, that's the funny thing is I'm, I went around to the other Symbolsmiths booths, and there wasn't a symbol I, you know, I, I didn't not like. You know, I, I thought they were all great. You know, sure. I thought they were all interesting for each symbol what they were. So yeah, it's yeah. it's really difficult though to to nail down in my own work what I like. But yeah, if I was gonna say I don't want it to be so trashy, I don't want to have so much spread that it's uncontrollable. But right. also, you know, is is a, a small craftsman driven business. If I'm not making something distinctive, if I'm not offering, you know, that its own flavor, you know, I it doesn't really help any any anything. It doesn't really add anything to the conversation. Yeah, if I'm yeah. not providing something that's distinctive right on so and that's a great thing about having so many different you know people making symbols right now there's like variety yeah, yeah. It's, it's frustrating when you, you get like 20 symbols from a company and every single one sounds exactly, exactly the same, same sometimes yeah yeah um i had the <laughs> i had the great privilege of having chris lamb uh over to my shop when it was out here and he talked about that in regards to you know a bigger symbol company had sent him uh, symbols to make, you know, or orchestral hand symbols, and uh, he said he couldn't make a pair out of them because they were all they were all too identical. close. Yeah, they're yeah. all identical, and he really wanted, you know, two different ones that were different. And right, right. So yeah, people I mean, will come to my shop and they'll they'll you know mix. I know that that whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they want to mix it up. So, so we've got about five minutes left. If anybody has questions, there's a wireless mic, and uh, we could probably pass it around. Does does the process of playing a symbol for many years, like 30, 35 years, does yeah. that change the quality of the symbol, the actual playing of it over and oh, over sure. again? Yeah. In what way does it typically change it? Does it? It just depends on the symbol, I guess, huh? The weight of it and where yeah, you strike that, it and all that. Yeah. They. I mean, there is a way in which symbols are all. They're they're all kind of wearing out in a sense you know what i mean like okay. they they open up and eventually i think like many things they'll come to the point where obviously they, they break or something like that uh -huh. um you know again uh when 
I had that interaction with Chris Lamb, which was really educational for me. Uh, he said after a run of a concert series that he'll put cymbals away for years. I mean, of course, he has a collection of hundreds of cymbals at the New York Philharmonic, but he won't use the same set of, of cymbals for many years because he wants to let them rest. I mean, um, he's a very certain, kind, you know, specific kind of player. He's hearing things that I don't, you know, that I'm not really in tune to. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just the, the act of being played or not being played, obviously a new symbol you want it to open up, so it needs to be played, it's meant to be played, but of course it's going to change things. I don't, I don't know if I already kind of gave this analogy, but uh, like a pre-war Martin guitar, did I say something about that already? Yeah. And, uh -huh. you know, it, it sort of peaks and then it gets to the point where it's played out. Uh -huh. So I, I think, you know, there's, there's probably some element of that. Can you, uh, can you uh, clarify all the myths about cleaning your cymbals? Can you clarify all the myths about uh, cleaning your cymbals? In, in what way? Like, well, oh, well whether it you know, changes them or this product is bad to use, that product is better, oh. uh, or do you just not clean them, period? A lot of different thoughts on this, I think. That's, that's a controversial subject, let me tell you. I think there's a lot of opinions on that. You know what? Uh, there's, there's probably, to be honest, there's probably some Smiths that are coming up later that could answer that question better. My preference would just be let it age, to let it patina, let it, let it become part of the history of the symbol. You know, there's different kinds of patina, though. If you have green stuff growing on your symbol, you probably want to remove that. That would be my opinion. Um, one of the guys who plays, who uh, represents my symbols, um, Chris Mead, um, he actually, he'll cut a lemon in half, and he'll go along with the grooves and wipe it off and clean it off, and, and his symbols stay looking pretty clean. Um, Isn't it like bronze disease or something? It's like a. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily bronze disease. I know it's exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Like something that can really eat it away. It actually at it. starts to decompose the bronze. Yeah. Like it eats away at the copper. But the the green is, I think, it's called a verdigris. I'm not not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Sure. But you can force a patina. Um, I'll, I'll just tell you what it is um, with Miracle Grow and vinegar. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can find this online. It's not like there's really any secrets anymore, right? But you mix that up and you soak it or you, you have it above the fumes and you can create that kind of a patina on purpose. So if you wanted that on purpose to kind of control the wash or kind of just create a look, that's fine. But if you just organically have that start growing on a symbol, I would try and clean that off. That would be the one that I would be against. So. Yeah. We, uh, we actually have to move on to the next guy. Uh, these are only half an hour each, but... Uh, tomorrow at 12 o'clock, all the cymbalsmiths are going to be meeting in the main building upstairs. So if you want to come like chat with, with everybody, that's uh, a great time to, to do that. Yeah. But yeah, thanks for coming, man. <laughs> awesome. Really appreciate that. Thank you. We got Dave coming up next. Thanks for coming to listen. So, so yeah, this uh, Dave Collingwood. Nice Hi. to meet you. Yeah. Yeah, you too. Hi. <laughs> And yeah, how, how was your how was your flight over? <laughs> yeah, good. I've been here about a week. And, uh, oh, nice. <laughs> I, yeah, I came into New York, and then I've been in Oklahoma doing some training, some cymbalsmith training. Great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I got in last night at about two o'clock. Thanks to Ryan for picking me up. Very cool. So, yeah. Tell me, tell me a little bit about your background, and and you know how you got into you know cymbals, and yeah, just your yeah. story. <laughs> um. So. I, I was a professional drummer for, for quite a long time. I was touring 
the world and elsewhere. Yeah, I read about it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, but then had a family and so stopped. What kind of music? Kind of, stuff. kind of like indie rock experimental okay, kind, nice. of, kind of stuff. <laughs> People assume I must be a jazz drummer because I'm a cymbal maker, but sure. <laughs> I don't really know anything about jazz, so I, if people want to leave now, that's cool. But, you know, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I retrained and did like a proper job and tried growing up, and that didn't go too well, but I'd, I'd heard about, I don't know if people are familiar with the Symbolholic Forum, that, that was, sure. it's kind of defunct now, but I'd heard about like Spears and Matt Bettis and people making symbols, and it appealed to me, so... I, I had the idea to try it, and once I get an idea, I can't, I can't not do it. And I started tinkering and building my workshop and teaching myself, and here I am. Right on, right on. Where, where are you from in the UK? Bristol. Bristol, all right. Yeah, southwest. <laughs> Great. And uh, yeah, just tell me, tell me a little bit about like your your process and your symbols, because I, I don't, I don't think I've played any of your symbols. You, you brought, you've got a booth, right? No. Oh, you don't have a booth today. Did you, you bring some? Nope. Oh, you don't even have any symbols there. <laughs> no, there is one of my symbols here. Timothy Roberts has okay. one that I, I made for his birthday a couple of years ago. I'll make sure to check it out. Yeah, yeah. so he's got one. So. <laughs> is it like out in the, in the main no, hall? No, he's or? hidden it away in a bag. So, oh, so you, you, you have to kind of speak in tongues to him and he'll go, okay. He, make, sure to, make sure to bring me over to him later. And, yeah, Because yeah, sure. I got I to gotta check out your, yeah, your yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about your process. And Well, I mean, my process is always changing I guess because I'm completely self-taught start to finish sure so the way I started was I wanted to always start on blanks it was always b20 you know the good the good symbol bronze so mm -hmm. I just found a supplier and made a hammer I thought would work and an anvil I thought would work and just started making lots and lots of mistakes and throwing my money away essentially but through that I learned how to remove the mistakes and find the paths that worked and so my process is kind of still that. You know, I can comfortably make symbols, but when something, something that was said by Ray as well, it, I think is like, he, he wants to kind of spend longer over certain symbols, and I get that. For me, I kind of want to spend longer screwing myself up. And like, once you understand the process, the next time you do it, you can do it a bit quicker. Sure. But to me, I want to unpick the, the craft a bit more, so I'll start putting in things I don't understand, so I can... So did you start with blanks? You didn't start modifying, like, no, old started with blanks. Interesting. Did you get them from Turkey, or...? Yep. Okay, nice. Yeah. You started with uh, kind of the original formula, probably, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> sure. I mean, this was about 10 years ago, I guess. Okay, yeah. And then, um, nice. So, so yeah, when you, uh, you were talking about your hammers, um, but what... What did you What did you create for yourself? I I do a little bit of hammering. I just took like yeah. a ball ball mm -hmm. peen and I I basically just uh, with a grinder removed half of it. So then it was more front weighted. What did you do? Yeah, kind mm. of similar, I guess. Went sure. to a, a hardware store, got a ball peen, cut the ball off the back and faced the uh, the main face right. a little smoother and figured it out from there. But then again, like Ray was saying, you you can go to a Turkish supplier and say, can I have a hammer? And they'll send you one. Yeah, Usually, yeah. like he said, it, it comes as a head and the handle, and then you've got that challenge, but that's, that's sure. easy enough. But um, there's, I don't know if people are aware of a guy called Nicholas Downing. I interviewed him. I run a Patreon for Symbolsmithing, and, and I interviewed him for that. He's, thanks to Mike Mongello, mm -hmm. there was kind of this connection. Yeah, hi. <laughs> um, and Mike, I think, saw Nick Downing making hammers for other uses, you know, metalwork, and went, that's a bit like the Turkish hammers we use, so reached out. 
Sure. And so he and Nick started working together and now Nick, you can go to Nick and say, I'd like this kind of cymbal hammer and he's got a few kind of off the shelf options. Nice. Um, I don't have any, but I've just been using some in Oklahoma. The guy I've been training has some and they're great. Yeah, I was gonna ask, so, uh, so yeah, uh, d describe, what, what were you working on out there? <laughs> Give me some, uh, some, some knowledge. <laughs> well, this is a guy who, he doesn't necessarily want to be a cymbal smith in a, career kind of way but okay. needs a hobby the sort of guy that just picks something up and throw thousands of dollars at it and sure and hope it works um yeah so he he bought a, a load of blanks and built himself a lathe and an anvil based on just what he'd seen on videos and what us guys post nice and then i was because he's part of my patreon i do like video lessons and and we were talking about it and I said, oh, I'll be in the US. And he said, cool, come to Oklahoma. So. Oh, it's fantastic. You had a good time? Yeah, great. Yeah. Guys just yeah. pumping out, pumping out symbols. Yeah, sitting <laughs> in the middle of, of the Great Plains, really, just, sure. uh, yeah, working on blanks. But he'd never touched, he didn't, he hadn't even opened the boxes by the time I got there. He'd so you, you were kind of training him, it yeah. sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was from, I was going, this is the hammer and that's the symbol. And sure. You, you connect, you connect the two. Right, right. You know? <laughs> And then, uh, what about like anvil-wise? What mm -hmm. kind of uh, anvil do you use? I have got a bit of steel that's about six inch diameter and four inch depth. Okay. And I rounded it a bit. My, my approach to symbol making and life in general is just try it and see if it works. And, yeah, yeah. And that's why I've got a lot of problems. But, I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage because I, I, I've probably played your symbols before. I just, like, mm -hmm. I, I see thousands of symbols. So, sure. but, but yeah, do you do, I know Ray does bell hammering. Do you do bell hammering or do I you do. do you stick? Cause I, I, I you don't always do bell hammering. You know? I pretty much, I guess 95% of my symbols are ham form bells. Oh, oh, see, that's another, that's a whole other thing mean? to talk or, about. Or you mean hammering pressed bells I even well, meant so. uh, hammering pressed bells, but that's actually, probably we should talk about that then, sure. if you're forming the bell. So do you get flat blanks without a hole in the middle? Oh, yep. uh, yeah, that's, that's very cool. Yeah, just yeah. start from scratch. I, Can I, you describe a little well, bit Well, I like that? the idea of knowing I've made the entire thing. Sure, you know, sure. Not, and I'm not saying either way is better or worse, but right. um, I like the complexity, to use that word, that comes from a hand form bell, and you've got control over the diameter and the transition to the main body and the, right on. the shape. And yeah, I like the I like symbols that are like slightly asymmetrical, mm -hmm. and that's what I like about hand form. And the old yeah. Ks, they were um, they were made with sledgehammers. Yeah. They would they would pound it in with like probably a wood anvil under there, I imagine. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that's very cool. What, what do you use to form the bell? How do you do that? Do you use a wood anvil on the bottom or? No, because it, it's the same anvil, pretty much the same hammer, because you're still compressing the metal and stretching it. So, sure, so sure. it has to suddenly have a vertical element to it. So right. slam down into that thing and build the shape you want. That's very cool. I, I try and keep things as simple as possible. I try and remove as much as I can. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of I want to keep learning, but also with what I learn, I want to then strip away what I don't need. And in a way, I'm taking away everything. Sure. <laughs> until the symbol is is kind of the, the opposite of the blank in a way. Yeah, yeah. If that makes any sense. There's a there's a symbol inside of there. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so when it comes to we were talking about gram weights, we don't have to talk about real specific. But are you generally would you say you're known for like? you know, like really light, medium, or more on the heavy side symbols? <clears throat> I don't know. You'd have to ask people that know me. Sure. Um, <laughs> I, I, well, because maybe a bit thinner. Back in the like 90s and 2000s, like the, everyone played heavy symbols pretty much. Yeah. But now, nowadays, like 
rock, rock guys and like you know everybody likes lighter symbols it's like the new cool thing so yeah i think it oscillates though like everything it, it sure. sort of comes and goes but i mean i'm i'm a rock drummer at heart you know and, sure. and but what i found was with all these thicker symbols it, they didn't quite have the kind of dynamics and breadth i was looking for so if i had a mission statement it's to make symbols that can be you, you can pound the, the heck out of them okay you know yeah, in yeah. a musical setting Sure. But they'll still breathe and be dynamic. So I suppose, to answer your question, thinner. But part of that is driven by the fact that thinner blanks are cheaper. Right. You know? So you so like something that's, like, crashable, yeah, washy. Yeah, in a control kind of way. And then sure. thin blanks, the other Smiths will attest to this. Like, thin <laughs> blanks are really hard to work on. The thinner they are, you know, you can understand it, but... The thinner they are, the more kind of hard they can be to control. Whereas if you've got a big, thick lump of metal, it's quite easy to get a basic symbol shape and then you decide where you go from there. So right. it's a bit of a challenge. When you're forming the bells, do you run into issues with the metal ever cracking? Because the... I used to, but I've, I've just found a good way of doing it. Like that's practice, quite yeah. Economical. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, right. I no, imagine... I mean, the main thing really for me, and everyone does it differently, is just not to drill the, the mounting hole until you're ready. Until right, you right. Until know the bell's where you want it. Yeah. You can still adjust a bit after that, but you, hammering on a, on a bell where you've got a mounting hole, you suddenly, the material you're not hammering is trying to remain where it was. Right, right. There's so much pressure trying to split it apart. I do, like, modifications on uh -huh. cymbals. Most of the time, I'll just lathe cymbals. If, if someone has a cymbal they really don't like and they just want to take off maybe 200 grams, I'll yeah. do something like that. Yeah. But sometimes I'll, I'll do hammering, too, and... Uh, the, yeah, it's very difficult to to not damage the assembly. You have to be very careful if there's definitely. a hole there. Yeah, definitely. Especially if you've got like deep lathing, really sharp lathing, and you, yeah. you know, with all that stress building up. Right, and it's an old symbol just, too. Yeah, because exactly. they the metals change. Yeah, over yeah. time they become, I guess, like more brittle. I guess. Yeah, yeah. A little bit. I mean, to expand on what you were talking about with Ray, I, th I think. Like the metal is always trying to separate, and you know, in millions of years, all the symbols will just be atoms floating through the universe. You know, <laughs> yeah. so so yeah, everything has a kind of decay in that way. Sure, sure. <laughs> Over time. Over time, not whatever that counts for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? But that's kind of the way I look at the whole process. Is <clears throat> is not trying to be too kind of precious or zoomed in on anything, and and keep it kind of organic and right on. I don't know, moving somehow, <laughs> living. Right, right. So how about, like, um, do, you, do you have any advice for everybody, like, when it comes to, like, searching for a symbol that, that like, works for you? I, th I think <laughs> what I see when I have people come to my workshop is the first hit, usually. I, I look at the eyes of the customer while they're sat to the kit, and if the eyes kind of go up when they do that first hit and go, oh, sure. they're usually coming back to that symbol. Yeah, everyone has that face when they're like, ooh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but if they go, hmm, <laughs> sure. they might still play it and go maybe, maybe, but chances are if you don't get something, and it, it's not that you know what that is straight away, it's just you know there's right? potential. You can see it in the face. I know exactly what you're talking about, yeah. I mean, having the drum shop. Yeah, Have you, right, right. You probably haven't been to our shop before. You should definitely no, definitely to, come yeah. on down if you yeah, have time. To, yeah. Are you? How long are you in the area for? Um, I'm in Chicago until Tuesday. Oh, nice. I've, I've got Monday. So. We're going to be there Monday. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'll see if I can drop by. I was thinking of yeah. going to Woodstock to see where Groundhog Day was filmed. But, oh, cool. You know, priorities. <laughs> nice. You know? Sure. Yeah. Well, hey, so, you're invited. I'll give thanks. you the grand tour. We're, we're going to be there Monday. Tomorrow, I don't okay. think there's going to be anyone there, but today okay. there is, and then Monday we'll be there. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, we've definitely got, got some cool stuff. So. <laughs> Great. 
Um, I can even, yeah, I can show you my lathe and hammer and all that. That would be great, yeah. All the fun stuff. Yeah, I'd enjoy that. But yeah, um, so let's see. <clears throat> Maybe uh, moving on a little bit. Um, <clears throat> we were talking about like the music you used to play. What about like maybe focus on like hi hats? Do you do a lot of hi hats or do you do mostly rides? What's your mostly rides speciality? Hi hats are interesting because there's nowhere to hide with hi hats. Sure. You know, if if you build hi hat symbols that are maybe a little loose, or you know you compress them when you close them with your foot and they they kind of bounce, it's going to show up straight away. Whereas if you've got like a ride or a crash that's got loose hollow spots, that can actually be quite a nice thing. Sure. Um, but I enjoy doing hi-hats, partly because they help you go, oh, I do know what I'm doing. Are you okay there? <laughs> yeah, it's, I knew this was going to happen. Oh, yeah, you're losing your mic. Keep going, though. <laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah. cool. I can fix this. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking of doing more hi-hats because I feel like I finally figured them out. Right. They, yeah, they took a bit of chasing. Yeah. At the, at the shop, it's like screwed into the table. <laughs> but these oh, are the, right, yeah. the clamp-on ones. Yeah. So, <laughs> but anyways... Um, yeah, awesome. So then, like, <clears throat> I guess I can move on to like, uh, like, yeah, what, uh, new new stuff you're working on that that you really actually, you know what? No, let, let's keep talking about hi hats. Okay. When you're making some hi hats, uh, do you have like a a specific way to try and avoid uh, like the air, you know, like the air pocket syndrome? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um... Get like a good chick without. Yeah, it's just, I guess, the tricks we're all aware of, which is the little adjustment if you've got that on your hi-hat stand to tilt the, tilt the felt. Sure, sure. Or, yeah, yeah. you know, there's something to be said for having symbols that aren't perfectly flat. There's, there's this whole quest for perfection, and it's great to understand how to make right. a perfectly flat symbol with, that's consistent, but at the same time, you don't want to rob the things of character. So having hi-hats that maybe don't perfectly match up can help with some, yeah, yeah, some right. kind of character, you know? Yeah, asymmetry is... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's really, there's a load of cool stuff there, but then, of course, you're inviting the, the, the perfection crowd, but, you know, you can't please everyone, can you? Is your stuff more, like, kind of traditional in the way you do it or more, like, avant-garde? Because some symbol makers, they, they do stuff which is, like, really, really, like, kind of, you know, cutting edge, and then some mm. guys are more, like trying to capture the sound, the same sound of like from right. like a specific era, what would you say your focus is? Well, I suppose I'm, my methods are traditional, I guess, even though they're self-taught, but yeah, I'm not Especially trying. with the bell forming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not trying to capture anything other than once I've finished, and that's in a whole other discussion, when are they ever finished, <laughs> but once they're finished and I hit them, if, if, I, if I go, okay, I think that's pretty cool, then off you know off they go so sure yeah i'm not chasing anything other than being pleased with it when it's done but i'm making stuff for other people once it leaves my workshop it's nothing to do with me in, in a way you know sure it's like and i said this before but it's a bit pretentious but I, i'm making half of a relationship for somebody else to get to know and it's that whole first hit of like ping ah maybe there's a relationship here you know but that's yeah. not my business sure sure that's, that's theirs so then, uh, when you were when you were playing out, uh, what what symbols did you use? Um, I what did I have the the last big tour I did? I had some Istanbul darks, some oh, nice. traditional darks. Yeah, and I cracked the heck out of them. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I was just like a sort of angry, thrashy player, and hey, sure. I like the sound of them when I hit them soft, and then just smash them really hard. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, playing, playing the big, uh, big venues, you know? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, last, <laughs> the last big tour was like nine weeks, 
through the US, South America, back and forth to Europe and... and nice. <laughs> yeah, but anyone who's done any kind of touring really a few weeks in and you're you're just tired your liver's screaming at you to stop and and you know, <laughs> sure just like heck, let's just get through this you know like do you have a musical family how'd you get into music originally um i think from in a way from not having a musical family like, okay my, it's it's a long story my my mum kind of introduced me to the beatles nice and, and stuff when i was young and, and lots of comedy like monty python and i think there was a lot of creativity yeah, that stuff. yeah sure. a lot of creativity going on british comedy i'm i love oh, yeah? british comedy yeah <laughs> cool. that and stuff yeah. that people many people here probably never heard of yeah i'm yeah. a big fan oh well we'll talk more about that sure. yeah that's cool um but yeah <clears throat> in a way i had quite a sort of quiet absent family without going too far into that and so it was almost you know I saw Kurt Cobain being really angry and and expressive and being oh, nice. someone who needed an outlet so the, I, like the grunge scene was something yeah, that really totally, appealed to yeah, you yeah Dave Grohl and, and Matt sure. Cameron and these kind of guys but, yeah, it, was, but it was also quite sort of technical in the sense it wasn't just chopsy for the heck of it but you know interesting phrasing and yeah rocking out and then pin drop quiet and dynamics. Cool thing about that era of music is the drum sets started to get a little bit smaller. Yeah. They went from like 12 piece to yeah. four yeah, piece again. But, but doing quite a lot on it. You right. Know, being quite creative. Or in the case of like Dave Grohl, just being solid, you know. Yeah, right on. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, grab, grab the mic if you How want. How old am I? 44. Yeah, yeah simple one. How old? Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, uh, we're actually, we're at that point, got about 10 minutes here, so if anybody wants to ask questions, that one was, was easy. Anyone else yeah, got? Yeah, I know uh, that one. I know the answer to that one. <laughs> sure. Anyone else got some, uh, some questions? Yes, I'd so like to. Thanks. Training. Yeah. Training. Question about his training. <laughs> training, yeah. So um, I train cymbalsmiths, essentially, and I see a few in the room here. Um, yeah, because, again, because I'm self-taught, I kind of had the idea to start offering training, and it started out as maybe just make a small little chime thing with some basic hammering methods, and then you can go away from my workshop and, great, play a symbol you've made, and that kind of expanded sure. to <laughs> folk who want to actually learn the craft. And I, I struggled a bit with the idea of, do I give away secrets? And, you know, there's this whole kind of dark art angle about symbol making. Yeah, right on. <laughs> I kind of don't subscribe to that. You run into that. that a lot, yeah. Yeah, in a way, you know, I don't want to tread on toes or diminish it, but right. the more people do it, you know, we 10 years ago, this wouldn't have been happening, you know. And I'm, I'm not taking any credit for that. I'm just saying there's a lot. Sure. There's a lot of visibility of the craft. I think every one of you guys has, has added, you know. Oh, completely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we're all posting on Instagram and we're all helping each other. You know, I've met faces I've, I've been seeing through Zoom and, and stuff for like two years. And suddenly I'm in a room with 13 of these guys. It's so do awesome. you train people like over, over the internet? You, you do like... Generally, yeah. So the Patreon is like kind of video lessons. That's a really cool angle, I like that, yeah. yeah <laughs> Very nice. It works, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And it's everything from if, if folk don't even know how to hold a hammer, you know? I can sure. say that's the bit you hold and that's the bit you strike with. But <laughs> sure. everything from that up to like pros just saying I'm looking for some new ideas or just to bounce stuff around and I'll go, well, think of the metal this way or let's, let's kind of actually look at it from the metal's point of view and yeah yeah just all that kind of stuff and awesome. it's cool i've got like 47 people on the patreon and it's growing and i've got some ideas for you know content and all, all sure, this sure. kind of important stuff 
Very well, I'm, cool. I'm enjoying training as well, and people seem to be getting a lot from it. And yeah, the more the merrier, I think. Do you have any, any more stops in the States before you go back? I'm going back down to Texas on Tuesday to train a guy for a day. Oh, nice. And then back up to New York. Geez, so, you're really <laughs> yeah, making the rounds. Yeah, it's one you're of those on dartboard tour tours. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Um, then back to New York for a few days. I might go and visit Mr. Mongello, uh, close to New York, and possibly Mr. Sagerton, and yeah, just see. Or I might just sit in the park and, and cry. Or something. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful place. Yeah. So. I love Central Park, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you have like a specific spot you like in Central Park? Well, I only went there because I flew into New York last weekend. I just went there because it was a nice, you know, the weather's much better than England, and I went to Strawberry Fields. It's the sure. first, I've been to New York a few times, but I've never been to, I've never done the tourist thing. Oh, I, yeah, I like yeah. travel, I like to kind of get lost in a place and unravel it, but I thought <laughs> I'll go and see Strawberry Fields. And, nice. You know, and I listened to the Beatles while I was there and kind of felt a bit gross, but it was cool. No, that's cool, man. Yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, it was good fun. <laughs> like a pilgrimage or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Great. Yeah, any, uh, any more questions anyone got? Patreon.com, thank you for asking, <laughs> slash Collingwood symbols. Simple as that, really. Or if you go to Patreon and put symbols, I think I'll be kind of one of two results. Yeah, and I, I offer a free 30-minute Zoom session to see what people want to get from it. Some people sign up, they don't want to make symbols necessarily, they're just interested, and so there's various tiers they can sign up at. Nice, yeah. I bet you I could learn a lot from you. I want to join. Yeah, please, I'm going to check it out. Yeah, do. If you can't make it out um, on, uh, on Monday, then, then yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah, like I, I do a little bit, but kind of mostly just lathing. That's kind of really my, my La main thing. Lathing's huge. I don't think a lot of folk understand how powerful lathing is. Sure. I think that hammering's where all the magic is, and there's a lot of magic in it, but lathing is where you can really really change things and really have control. Can you tell me anything about your lathe? What kind of like? It's direct drive, which okay. I wouldn't recommend to anybody. It's a motor with a gearbox because the motor runs at like 2,800. Dang. And so you need it to be around sort of, well, mine's 280, works for me. Yeah, mine's belt driven. <laughs> yeah, belt driven's the much safer option. I, yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, but when I was starting, like I said, I just built everything myself. I didn't get help or ask for it because I'm an awkward kind of Sorry. Matt Bettis helped me make okay, mine. Yeah, and, yeah and I saw, I, uh, I saw that. We, we were missing a bunch of pieces. Yeah. And so we, we went to the hardware store and we basically just fashioned it together with, with just kind of generic things. Yeah. And it still, it still works. That's the way to do it. I mean, my, my tool years. rest is held together with drum clamps just because sure. I had them lying around. Ten years later, I'm still using them. Is it a high speed? You use a high speed lathe? Mine's pretty slow. Which What's is, yours? Do, do you know? Ooh. Uh, Paul, Paul Francis was there and he, he said it was one of the slowest ones he's ever seen. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's mine's, like very, whatever very slow is. I don't know the actual RPM. Okay, but. I mean mine's 280, which I guess is kind of medium-ish, but Paul's lathing at 800 because he's crazy. Yeah, because he's, super, he's crazy. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah he, he said it was very dangerous. Yeah, right? yeah. It's Ridiculous. fast though, it's fast. Yeah, That's what, yeah. <laughs> right, but, you're done. <laughs> but you know, he's been doing it, what? 30 years or something. So. I guess the ones that... The ones at Zildjian, Zildjian are, just kind of replicating Max. It's what right. he's comfortable on. Mine's probably around, I think mine might even less than yours. But yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Interesting. Old record player? Yeah, I just pop them on there and... 
<laughs> Sometimes I play cymbals on play my cymbals, record yeah, player. Right. Yeah. It doesn't sound very good, though. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot to learn without dragging it on too much. That's actually a good point, because when you're lathing, sometimes you probably get it where you start getting chatter on the lathe. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so you can start thinking, well, actually, what I'm doing is kind of cutting a waveform into this thing. And, sure. You know, and then you can start working with pressure and doing yeah, you that can, strategically. I always try, like, chatter to me is like the try to avoid it and then sometimes I'll get ones that have really bad chatter already yeah. and someone's like I want you to lay it and then I want you to lay it more and I want you yeah. to lay it more and sanding mm -hmm. is one way to get rid of chatter yep that's and I, but that takes forever well it depends I mean <laughs> again information only something I wouldn't recommend I, I use like an angle grinder with a flap disc and while the symbol's spinning spin oh, yeah. the angle grinder and take it down I've never tried that ridiculously dangerous <laughs> very dangerous yeah, yeah. you get through the chatter you know or change sure. something if you start getting chatter building up in the lathe you know like the, the waves that build up in the lathe grooves right. change something about your cut and go through it differently, go the, go the opposite way or something and start breaking it apart. For those who don't know what he's talking about is when you're lathing, there's this like really high frequency that you can like hear when yeah. you start to get the chatter. It's, it's, you really, it's, well, it's very you, and, obvious. And you see it as well. Right. So it's, yeah. And you kind of like feel it in the, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's a <laughs> feedback. I mean, we're, all we're doing really is working on a piece of metal yeah. that makes a noise, you know, and, and the application of force or whatever, removal of material makes it make a different noise and it might start feeding back to you that you're putting maybe pressure in it and so it's starting to resonate whatever you'll get different size chatter at different parts of the symbol right so. and like the rigid parts tend to be at least in my experience yeah the backing symbol that if you don't do that you get more chatter for some reason i don't see, know see I, I never use backing symbols i use oh you don't no i i when i'm lathing i like nothing behind my symbols mm. you know i want it supported of course out at the edge but i like to work with pressure so i can feel what i'm where i'm pushing and oh, okay. and then you can kind of strategically alter your pressure as you cut and that sure that kind of changes all sorts of things do you is your basic lathe do you have like a flat plate yeah. or is it um, and then so if you're doing the underside, you have something you add mm -hmm. on and then you put yeah, I've debts like mine, yeah. Yeah, just design this kind of plywood base with rings yep. as walls <laughs> and then rubber right. kind of top and the symbol just sits back in there. Yeah, yeah. Really, but I've, I've got a kind of theory and sorry, Patreon members, you'd be bored to death of this, but <laughs> I, I think they're like hammering and lathing in a way they've, they've got a crossover. They're kind of the same thing or they, they kind of do the same thing if you really dive sure. into it you can use lathing like hammering yeah in a way well, like tension you're talking about yeah that's a, a word i have a bit of an issue with sometimes sure. but we won't go into that but um yeah because you know you can it's I'm like the same way with adjectives for describing yeah, exactly, symbols yeah. exactly but, some but, of them bother me you know you can <laughs> use pressure in certain ways especially with nothing backing the symbol so really you're, you're kind of moving the symbol in a in a way like you're applying one big hammer as the symbol yeah, yeah. So you can alter the shape of the symbol with lathing. Definitely, because, you know? I mean, yeah, if you lathe the bottom a whole bunch, you can even lay the symbol to the point where it kind of oh, yeah. becomes a, I do that almost on, like a blank again. Like Even more, like I, I did that on purpose yesterday with the student, just yeah. to demonstrate. I took one sure. symbol that we made and pressed really hard as I lathe the underneath, and that made it this kind of pointed... You know, you've seen those, I think Istanbul do them, they're just really out of shape. Yeah. Almost yeah. like clapstack kind of shape. <laughs> Very <And> asymmetrical. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then you turn the symbol over, put it on the lathe, and just burnish the top, and it goes, right, right. Or cut the top or whatever. So you can control all these things 
in either real subtle ways or real kind of full-on ways. Yeah. yeah. It's all that stuff which takes you to a, to a point and gives the symbol your voice, I think. What I'm finding interesting is going around the booths and like playing Mike's, playing Nicky's, playing whatever, and they've all sure. got different characters and it's great. Right on, yeah. Yeah, this is a great show. We're, we're all yeah. so happy to be here. We're happy you're here, too. Thanks, thanks, yeah. for, thanks yeah, for making the trip. Yeah, yeah, thanks for the invite. The trek, yeah. Yeah, really pleased to be here. Over the pond. Where, where do I send the bill? <laughs> sure. <Yeah. laughs> hey, I'll, I'll give you some free stuff if you come to the shop. I'll be there. <laughs> awesome, <laughs> man. Saying the right words. Cool. Well, yeah, yeah. thanks for, uh, thanks for coming, and thanks Thank for listening, you. everybody. I'd, I'd love to hang more. We will. We'll hang more. Yeah, we'll yeah, see you. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Wonderful. All right, everyone. Thanks for sticking around. So Burke Doherty here today to to talk with me again. You know, more symbol talk. Yep. <laughs> How's that? Getting better. Right? <laughs> I I told the I told our sound guy that I always talk really loud, so I almost like don't even need a microphone. But <laughs> whenever I do uh, podcasts, it's usually the other guy's gain is turned up really high. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. It's also true for our videos that we do at the shop. <laughs> but anyways, um, so yeah, great to, great to meet you. Great to be here. Great yeah, so uh, let's start out just a little bit about you. Where are you from? Uh, right now I'm living in Charlottesville, Virginia. Charlottesville, I've lived nice. all over Virginia, so I'm pretty much a Virginia guy. Great. Uh, did you place. drive out or did you take we plane? We drove out. Nice, how was it? Yeah, long drive. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a, <laughs> a, bit of a haul. <laughs> yeah, 13 hours approximately. Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, enough. I have, yeah. I've driven around there. It's kind of a beautiful drive, though. It is. There it are parts. Nice, yeah. Especially coming through the mountains, you know. It's yeah. really pretty. West Virginia. <laughs> very, very nice. Yeah. It's kind of cutting across the green of the mountains that makes it a... Sure. <laughs> scary trip. Right on. So, yeah, tell, yeah, me, so. tell me a little bit about yourself. Like, how'd you, how'd you get into symbol okay. making? A little bit about your past, you know? All right. Well, um, started with uh, playing in bands as a bassist. Okay. Uh, and then went to college, uh, initially uh, as a performance degree, switched over to arts management after my freshman year, hmm. graduated from there, and then went right into woodworking, which was kind of always my particular bent. I consider myself more craftsman than musician. Okay. So um, I started off making um, acoustic guitars and electric basses, oh, with wow. focus on electric basses, and um, then got a mortgage. So I had to go to kitchen cabinets, doors and windows, uh, pay the bills, you know, sure. they, they meet the demands of the, the, yeah, yeah. the debt. Um, and then always, you know, played on the side and, and kept the instrument making going along. And then switched over into drums due to the fact I live in a small town. Uh, There's maybe about 15 of us that played jazz. And, um, uh, so you're a jazz bass player? Jazz bass player, jazz infusion, you know, oh, this nice. kind of thing. Um, There's and, never enough jazz bass players. I, yeah, everyone yeah, always yeah. needs a bass player. <laughs> well, here's what happened. Uh, in this tiny town, two upright players moved in. Oh, geez. So as an electric bassist, th those gigs started to whittle down a little bit, and we were all fighting for the same drummer. Sure. So I was like, well, I know the songs. I'm a rhythm section guy. Uh, traded a bass for an old set of drums. Nice. And just, you know, the basics, timekeeping, and then <laughs> I was able to start gigging. Sure, because sure. it wasn't a flash drummer, sax players love that. So it was always kind of out of the way and just timekeeping. And then that led to making my own drum set and then Symbolholics. So wood, the woodworking you started with. Yes. <clears throat> awesome. Yes. What was your, how did you make drums? A stave production set. 
Okay. So it's a fastening, a solid wood, because that's the easiest way to go about it. And you would you would lathe as like the last step, probably. Uh, yes, you know, a homemade jig that would you'd spin the barrel on and run your router across as the drum rotated. You know, sure, sure. Stuff it inside. Yeah, I've, same I've thing. played on many, many uh, yeah. good sounding. Yeah, it's safe a great kit. way to make a kit on the you know on the cheap. You, sure. You know, if you have a router and a couple bits and. $40 of bearings, you can jig yourself a, right. up, and one jig will make all your drum sizes. You don't so. have to worry about steam bending or... None of that. Or no, like, just, uh, there is glue, but it's, it's yeah, a little yeah, bit of a... <laughs> wait for the glue to dry, you know? Sure. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. But, uh, right on. So, so, so yeah, tell me, tell me how you, like, I mean, what kind of cymbals did you go with when you first started playing drums? Whatever I had. Sure. And, and actually, the lack of, ex, of, ex, of access to decent equipment was what led me, uh, part of the reason it got me into cymbal making. Okay. There, there was no decent drum store around. Um, used cymbals uh, were pretty much what you had access to. Um, this sure. is 2006. And, um, and then uh, Cymbalholics, that website was what really turned things because that's sure, where yeah. <laughs> reading about what these guys were doing, knowing the type of symbol that I wanted, not having the, I couldn't rationalize buying an old K mm -hmm. um, at that point. And uh, after reading about how these were, symbols were made, I was like, well, I have chunks of steel, I have a hammer, I can make a lathe. And um, just started with stainless steel and learning how to form and tension, hmm. and then just one thing leads to another, as it always does. So you, you did some so. stainless steel cymbals. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. cool, because it's a little softer than regular steel, so it would actually probably... I find it's much slower moving. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it gives you time to kind of see, you know, to make, you have enough headroom to keep pounding away and sure. see the results without kind of getting into a crash and burn situation. Sure, as sure. As you can with bronze if you're going at it too aggressively. Right. Um, and then forming the bell, because it's not a pressed thing. Uh, so that gives you some insight into um, the effect of the bell has on things. So you would start with just like a sheet? Just a sheet. And then make flat. circle mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and then Snip probably. it out, you know, and drill it, you know, just cool. hammer away and trial and error. You know, I still have a few examples of those laying around. I'd, I'd be really interested to see how those sound. <laughs> Did you bring symbols today? Do you have a booth? I do. Booth nice. 84. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll definitely, I haven't had any time to go check out any booths because yeah, I've been running around. I had to set up our booth and then I had to set up these things. There's a lot going on <laughs> over there, you know. Yeah, yeah there's, the drum show is always really, it, it, the time moves so quickly. Yeah. Have two, to be, two days is barely enough. It's right? hard to yeah. focus on anything. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. There was one that was three days. That was actually kind of cool. I actually kind of enjoyed Those that. are tough. When yeah. you're in a booth for three days. It was like exhausted at the end. Nam or Pasic. It was yeah. just three times louder. Right. Because the demographic is different. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, I attend those shows for Koide Symbols, which is a Japanese company that I rep for. Okay. And um, that gives me access to doing those shows that I probably wouldn't be able to do on my own with my own brand. Sure, sure. So. Do you, and then you bring your symbols. <laughs> yes. Nice. I would I've bring been, a few with me. And, you know, through yeah. uh, internet and correspondence, I would arrange to meet people, bring some things. And it just gives you exposure that was yeah. not available. I haven't been to Nam in quite a while, but I've been a couple times, and yeah, it's very loud. It's still very Nam. Yeah. yeah, yeah it hasn't <laughs> Even with a couple less people, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's still yeah, blown. So uh, yeah, that that explains a little bit about how you got into it originally. Tell me a little bit about your process. Are you are you starting with like Turkish blanks or both Turkish and um, Japanese blanks through oh, interesting. 
And Kalidae's blanks are very interesting, the way that they're, uh, that they're produced. Uh, they're produced at a foundry that just does copper alloys. Uh, they've made the windings and the copper bits for the Hadron Collider. It's almost a laboratory more than like a hmm. smutty sort of uh, dirty foundry situation. Sure. Um, the parameters are really dialed in. They, they make a cylinder that's about six inches in diameter and about five feet long. Okay. And uh, the, the, the molten bronze is agitated as it's poured and then it's cooled as it's poured so nothing can settle out. So you're guaranteed to have the same ratio of uh, your metal from top to bottom. Then it's sliced and then carries on with the same process of uh, hmm. press rolling and bell stamping and annealing and all of that. Wow. So that's their, their angle on the symbol making. Uh, Koide has some. Yeah, I'm not sure if I know anyone else who uses those. Um, it's, a new, it's very new. I mean, we've been here in the States. Uh, we started about four years ago and uh, just recently have begun to get some traction with retailers um, mm -hmm. and through doing the larger shows. So it's, it's, a, it's a long process. Sure. <laughs> I mean, uh, Toshio Koide was really concerned about meeting demand for the U.S. market because really it's just a Japanese company selling just on the island. Um, we were, uh, assured him that it was going to be a slow, long process to get recognized, and it has been. And we're doing it without any real budget, so to speak of. So we're just, you know, sure. just hammering away at it, literally. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, Hammering puns, away. Yeah, puns, so, puns. so yeah, can you describe a little bit about your your process? Do do you uh, do you form the bells or do you get them already? Uh, both. Okay, you do. But right both. now, I'm, I'm, I'd probably say that uh, twenty percent of what I do is hand formed bell. Okay. And I just use. Uh, I typically will go with a lower profile bell and then modify that, raise that some, so that I can maintain some thickness in the bell without it thinning. If I want a higher bell. Sure, sure. So, um, and uh, everything else that I'm doing is pretty much typical to what everybody else is doing. Um, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel um, with my method. It's the same. It's a constant study of, you know, cause and effect. Um, recently, I've, I really focus on repetition now. Mm -hmm. So, like most of the symbols I have in my booth are of a similar variety because for the last six months, I've been working with a for a cleaner sound, uh, flatter faced hammers, um, a lower profile, sure, and they're a little glassier um, right. than what I've made. Are your past. hammers like custom made, or do you use the Turkish style, or a little of both? A little um, of both, nice. <laughs> there's a, um, I'm blanking on his name, but it's uh, Nicholas. Um, somebody could help me with their name. Downing, thank <laughs> you. Uh, who is, makes wonderful tools? So um, I've had him make several hammers for me. And then, yeah. of course, the ones that I've just modified, you know, sure. as you find them. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, have you been to Maxwell Jobs? Have you been to our shop? I, in New York. In New York, yeah. Yes. Well, yeah if you have time, make sure to drop oh, by. I hope to. Hope <laughs> I'll to. show you yeah. my uh, self-made hammers. They're pretty good, but, yeah. you know. That's the nice thing about this, this craft is that a lot of your tooling you can make yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my lathe is an old uh, automobile brake drum lathe that was modified to do symbol lathing. Oh, nice. That it, sounds like pretty, pretty hefty piece It's a hefty machine. And, the, and the, you, it, I used the original machine because uh, uh, it's all, of course, very heavy. But I could take the spindle off as massive bearings and shafts. So if I could put it on a different frame and a different motor. But this one's working, so I've just stuck with it. Sure. <laughs> it's fixed speed. It's around 200 RPMs, which is a little on the slow side, but it's feasible. Right. Making things. 
Yeah, I actually, I was walking around and I think I did see, I did see a couple of years, yeah. It, it's, yeah, it seems like you've got it, but traditional, like the, it was, reminded me, at least I didn't play it, but mm -hmm. it looks a little bit like an old K. So yeah, the, the that, yeah. Uh, what are some symbols that you really, like really speak to you? Are, are you kind of going for that traditional oh, sound? It, or? it changes. You sure. Know, and, and that's, um, I have the luxury of, I'm not doing symbol making as my full-time source of income. So I yeah. can take my time with it. Um, sometimes I have to put it down for, you know, weeks at a time, and then other times I can just dive in and do it. I'm self-employed, so I can fluctuate with whatever sure. the demand is that I have going on at any particular time. <laughs> um, but I, I like to take a long time making a symbol. So I, for my, you know, you can knock, I mean, feasibly, you can knock out a symbol in three hours. It's a moot point to do that, in my opinion, but sure. it's... Uh, I like to hammer a couple hours, put it aside, tweak it, put it aside, or rotate through stock. Everything gets to sit for a long period of time. And then um, um, the hard part of then is to not lose track of the direction I'm trying to hit. I, like I mentioned earlier, I like doing repetitive, repetitive um, symbol making. So I get a particular sound that I want to run down mm -hmm. and then veer off here and there a little bit, go through the cause and effect sure, phase. Sure. And then now I have a, a good idea of why it sounds like it does. Yeah, yeah right on. And, and it takes out some of the randomness and the voodoo factor that can creep in. Do you do um, something to do like a patina on the symbols? That's actually something I noticed about the one that I saw. I'm um, curious. As far you as don't have to say if it's like a secret no, 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 or something. No, 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 it's not a secret. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's vinegar, lemon juice, and salt. Oh, okay. And I really only do that as a, a basically, it just gives a patina that a symbol sure. would take on in six months yeah, and yeah, it helps yeah. protect against fingerprints. Sure. So when you're doing shows and everybody's, you know, pizza fingers, and if you don't get to watch your, <laughs> wash your symbols off immediately, yeah. it, those can etch in pretty deeply. I do lathing so at the shop and I've had, I've uh, shipped symbols to people and my hands always get so dirty uh, and I've had yeah. customers complain like, there's a fingerprint on my symbol. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was in a hurry. <laughs> I like letting them age patina fingerprints sure. all. It doesn't phase me at all. I have to kind of make a conscious effort to clean a symbol before I present it. Sure. I don't see it anymore. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was something I find a little bit uh, comical in that when I got into the symbol business uh, and it kicked in with the Koei Day symbols. So yeah, 250 symbols come over. I have all this inventory. And it never occurred to me about the process of having to clean all the symbols after a show and then before the next one. Yeah, yeah. So you have to set up, wash every single symbol, dry it, buff it off, put it back in the bag, right. and then just repeat, repeat, repeat. And then to have hundreds of pounds of symbols that you have to schlep, you know. Because you can crits. wear gloves, but everyone who's trying them at the, yeah, at the yeah, show Yeah, you just have to not. kind of roll with that. And, right. You know, it becomes the bargain stock after about a year. You know, that's where you can start. Sure. 20% off because you just don't want to clean it again. Yeah. yeah. You know. What, what so, do you use to clean them? I, vinegar. Just vinegar? Vinegar okay. with yeah, a little yeah. bit of a dishwashing soap. Nice. And um, you just kind of put it on, let it sit for 30 seconds, and then clean it off. And that it, it seems to do the trick. They are very beautiful when they're just like fresh off the lay. There's yeah, nothing no like doubt. that. If it's no like, doubt. But 
lathe chatter really bothers me. But if it's like a perfect lathe without any chatter, it's just like, ooh, that's, that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah tell me a little more about your process. Like, like what makes your symbols like kind of, I mean, it sounds like you have a jazz background. So, so are, you, are you going mostly, for like a lot of lighter? Mostly lighter weights, nothing above medium. A little washy maybe? Yeah, a little washy. Um, do you ever go for like a symbol off a record? Is that something you do? Like if someone I, yeah. asks you, mm -hmm. I want that, you know, that one from... I'll do Tony that. Williams or something, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, there's some of those I stay away from. I, uh, <laughs> I try to uh, suss out somebody when um, we're discussing a commission because I won't do a commission for everybody. And it's just because some people are really hyper fixated on a particular sound and there's just no way it's going to get from their head to mine. Or I put it this way, I don't want to invest the time into it because it's going to be... Sure. We're mailing that symbol back and forth. Right. And I know from dealing with the public that there's just some people you will never satisfy. So um, I much prefer to just make it and let people play it and buy it. Yeah. If they yeah. like it. Um, and if uh, it just all depends. It depends. Depends on the, on the symbol. And, and just my interaction with them because I'm, <clears throat> we're going to do this dance to try to make this thing create something that they have in their head. If they send me a recording, I want something that sounds like that. Yeah. That helps greatly. And most people do give me, you know, files that they want to, to aim towards. So maybe, yeah, a little bit of a direction, but I'm not making you a carbon copy of this. Exactly. <laughs> right? I, don't, I don't make any promises. And, if, sure. you know, as long as their request is a symbol that I feel like I could sell somewhere else, online, I don't hold their feet to the fire on buying it. Right. Um, unless it's something really crazy that they <laughs> want to do, then I would tell them up front. Sure. <laughs> you know, we'll take a couple cracks at it, and you're going to not buy this symbol regardless. Do you make anything that's more like, like avant-garde kind of symbols, like anything that's really... Uh... Uh, out of blanks or failures? <laughs> hey, whatever, so, yeah. I mean, Tell know, me an interesting story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I can get my blank cost back out of a, 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 an experiment gone awry, uh, sure. it's still a success. You're right, right. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I that ozone one. symbols, like that style with like extra hole, like big holes in them. That's one, you know, that There's would that. fall in that category. Or I was just, you know, wondering because, you know, like Matt Bettis, maybe he's an example of someone right. who, who like, he's had some symbols that I played on that were like, they had like really unique hammering, like I've never seen before, you mm -hmm. know. That's <clears throat> pretty much what I do is hammering. I don't get too much into hole drilling, ozone, sure, that sure, sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. Um, there's some, like EMJ, uh, I love his work. He just is off the charts. Everything is, uh, he comes at it from a completely different angle than mm -hmm. most of us. Um, he does things that I would never dream of doing. Even in just making a traditional symbol, I would feel like yeah. that symbol's not complete, you know, but it is. And that's the beauty I love of this craft. Is and uh, who are you talking about? EMJ, uh, uh, Yuki, Yuki. Um, he is a Japanese symbol maker that, that um, he is a, actually a, sort of a visual artist as well as a, a musician, musical instrument maker. Okay, I may have, I think I've heard of him. Yeah, he's pretty big. Um, um, <clears throat> actually, he sold uh, some symbols to, um, uh, let's see, King Crimson, one of the three drummers there. Cool. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, he's, he's had some attention with, and he also created the multi-tone symbol. Okay. So it's like, it looks like a pizza. And each, we call it the tang, and each lobe has been uh, hammered to have a different bell chime. Oh, it's, yeah, that so would it's be... it's a multi-tone symbol. In that category of mm -hmm. something very yeah. different. Yeah, cool. So he, yeah, he, he's... We'll have to scope that out. Yeah, I, I, I didn't bring any this time of his, but uh, yeah, check those out. 
Awesome. Great job. Very interesting. Yeah, you never know uh, <laughs> where the with all these civil experts. Yeah, every every single uh, every single guy has like some new interesting you know <laughs> insight to add. Well, that's I love the fact that you know the the tools that you have and your approach will change the outcome. Sure. So there's the odds of us reproducing each other um, happenstance is pretty slim. Right, I mean, right. Everybody's going to have their own particular sound eventually. Uh, mine is now starting to gel in a particular track right. over time. And it's in part due to my method, of course, but that's always changing. But my tooling has stayed pretty consistent. Mm -hmm. So if I really want to change something, I'll add a new hammer or reface a hammer to be able to do some different things um, or hopefully have a different effect. Sure. But, I mean, basically it boils down to profile, mass, and stiffness, and then... <laughs> you get on over into lathing and some other elements that change things, but sure, it's, it's sure. a relatively basic, simple formula. Yeah, um, yeah, right on. So um, do you have any like advice to people about like looking for a symbol that, that works for them? Anything that, you know, like... Yeah, I think probably the, the thing that I run up the, up the most against um, is the symbol that sounds perfect and sweet right in front of you is maybe not the symbol you need. It depends on your application. If you're recording and you're going to have a microphone right near it or on it, that might be just what you need. Or if you're playing in uh, a quiet uh, environment, like a cafe. Good point. Yeah. But yeah. if you have a, a stage and you need some projection, you're not going to be have that much sound reinforcement. Sure. Um, or like in here, for example, symbol's going to sound so oh, different. Yeah, this in would here. be a tough space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, I had, that lesson was driven home with a, one symbol I had. It was an. It got uh, 21 Turk jazz ride. Okay. And up close, it was just gnarly. It was <laughs> hard play. You didn't want to hit it. It wasn't inspiring when you were on top of it. And mm -hmm. I was playing a little jazz trio. And of course, you're sitting on, everybody's on top of each other. The other musicians hated that, that symbol. Sure. But I always <laughs> recorded my gigs. And, um, and then when I would let people sit in and I could go out and listen, that symbol sounded great. Right, right. Up close, especially if somebody called a ballad, it was brutal. I mean, right. you just didn't want to hit it. You didn't want to touch it. You did. It was terrible. And it was an extreme example. But what it, a symbol that has some funkiness to it, some weird overtones, you get some distance, and all that kind of melds together. And then you have all the other instruments, the whole package pushing forward. Yeah, yeah. That symbol will project, and hopefully, it'll sound good when it melds together. Right. Um, the symbol that sounds really crystalline and clear is going to be difficult to get it to get out there. The great uh, thing about having all you guys making symbols from scratch the way you are is the just the variety that we all have. We're all really lucky. I guess it's kind of like a golden age in symbol making, I guess. <laughs> it's a rebirth of it, yeah. Absolutely, because um, yeah, the sometimes you, you run into like you get like you know 20 symbols from a big manufacturer and every single one sounds almost exactly the same right, right. but but yeah the you, you, like some symbols they can be like this one sounds kind of nasty this one it maybe wouldn't be great with like a mic up close to it but in a big room it just sounds mm -hmm. absolutely perfect yeah <laughs> i love it when i run up on a symbol that um you know it's like guess the weight of that symbol game uh, oh sure something i do and how you can be even with your all the experience you've you one gains messing with this and you can still be wrong, mm -hmm. you know, uh, between the feel and the sound. And then you look over, the, flip it over and see the, the grams. Sure. It's like you're off by 300 grams. It's like, how is that possible? You know, but no. it is. And that's the magic. But my dad says it. it plays light. Some symbols, mm -hmm. they play light when they, you know, depending on how much. That might have something to do with, like, tension, maybe. It's if all they, it, yeah. If they have, like, 
bottom tension. I think they, they kind of wobble a little more, which, but, but yeah, we did an experiment once. Uh, we were talking, we were all talking about patina earlier. I don't know how many of you were here for that, but how much, what is the difference of a patina? Like if, if like a really old A versus let's say like a brand new A. And we actually did an experiment. Now this was over the internet. It wasn't like in person, but it was a blind test and uh, no one got it right. It was a brand new set of Zildjian A hats versus a really old set of Zildjian A hats that were green. The psychological and, yeah. factor in symbols is yeah. it's pretty steep. Yeah, and yeah. the symbol voodoo that, you know, <laughs> that, that is out there. Right. Um, I try not to buy into it. Sure. Yeah, but I do on occasion, it, it creeps in, you know. It's <laughs> the, 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 I love the mystery and the mystique of the whole process. Yeah, yeah. And it, it gives you the opportunity to be proven wrong over and over and over. <laughs> so it keeps you pushing forward, you know, trying to yeah. figure it out. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, how can people, like, find out more about, uh, about your, your company? Okay, so I sort Bronze of have three Pie. things running. There's BW Symbols, which is the brand that I make. Uh, then Bronze Pie is an online store that okay. features all independent symbol makers. Okay, I see. And then... Um, yeah, just go into all the details about this. Yeah, yeah and very... Koide USA, which is that. And I, they're all kind of bound together. Okay. Um, the, each Koide gives me the opportunity to take either uh, some of the other guys to shows that can't go there. Right. Um, and, if, and same with my BW symbols. If I was just doing my symbol brand, it would not be feasible to go to NAM or PASIC. Sure, for the sure. cost and the effort, you know. Yeah. But being that, you know, you have a company behind you, you just kind of ride. I'm riding on the coattails of that is essentially what's happening there. Nice. And um, that was kind of the design from the beginning, you know, sort of the whole process of symbol making is just looking for little opportunities for finding a tool, finding an anvil, <laughs> exposure, getting a player, repetition, repetition, sure. repetition, repetition. I'm big on that. Awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to try out some of your some of your symbols. I yeah, think there was by. one like right. Are you next to our booth? We're we're like. I'm next to uh, Eric Binder and across. Yeah, yeah you're right next to us. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you're on the left side of me. Then. Yep. Oh, okay. All right. Very good. I haven't seen you. We're over actually, there yet. Well, we're on the right side of Eric, so oh, okay. not the left one side, the, but oh, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. Very good. Awesome, man. <laughs> I have my goggles on. You know, when I come to these shows, I kind of sure hibernate and live in my little area. You know. And yeah, it's really hard to. It's, it's so overwhelming. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so many people that say hi to, hey, it's been so long. Great to see you. A lot of distractions. For uh, sure. Yeah, it's tough to focus. Uh, have you been to a bunch of these shows before in Chicago? How this many is my first Chicago show. Oh, nice. Well, yeah, welcome. It's a perfect yeah. show for what I'm trying yeah, to do. It's, Rob's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's really... Uh, uh, oh, he's been wonderful. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> just, <laughs> and yeah, the whole process. great meeting you. Let's see. How are we doing time-wise here? Actually, yeah, we're, we're basically at the end. Okay. I could maybe do like one question. If anyone, does anybody has a, have a question? Anyone? All right. Well, yeah. yeah awesome. There we go. All right. Cool. Yeah. Well, and then we're. Thank you. If, if anyone thinks of anything, all the symbol smiths are going to be uh, 12 o'clock uh, tomorrow in the main space. Yeah. So uh, come on, come on down and, uh, and hang out. We're going to have cookies, and that's uh, sponsored by Maxwell Drums. So, <laughs> thanks. Looking forward. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. All right, we got Paul Francis. Come on up, my friend. I'm like Bobby Brady in the...
Sure. Make sure to get relatively close to the mic there. How's everybody doing? Yeah, it's good to be here. It's good to be among a lot of great symbol makers. So it's an honor. So. Yeah, man. Yeah, I've been having a fantastic time. I've been meeting some new people, hanging out with some people that I've known for a while. You'd be in that category. Yeah. You were just over at the drum shop, which it was, was fantastic. great fun. Great day. Yeah. Really, really great day. And it was awesome. I got to watch you do some of your, mm -hmm. some of your craft. So yep. I'm just going to let you go. Um, okay. You know, maybe just start out with like your, how you got into oh, geez. music and symbol. We, we don't minutes, have right? too much time, but yeah, just, you know. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I think a lot of people know my, my backstory, but you know, I worked for Zildjian for 32 years. I've been playing drums for 45 years. I'm actually playing more drums than ever now. Nice. <laughs> um, uh, starting my own thing. But um, after some changes at, at, at Zildjian, you know, I had to wait a little bit and decided that I wanted to continue to, to make cymbals. And I did that and, um, you know, started literally making cymbals uh, in my garage. And I want to I wanna thank a couple people while I'm here. Of course, you know, my wife and family for, for all the support. Um, you know, my business partner, Sarah Hagen, that I think a lot of you know. Um, I want to thank Nicky Moon. He actually lent me an anvil when I, when I started and, and got me some, some blanks. Of course, your dad. Your dad literally texted me um, <laughs> two seconds after I posted a picture on Instagram of a hammered blank. Oh, nice. So, so last year at this time, you got to see the first you know, uh, post Zildjian symbols made by me. So um, it's really, really uh, fantastic. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for, for all of the, the uh, outpouring of love from the drumming community and, and the fact that I continue to make symbols. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know what else to add. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's so, perfect. You know. Um, yeah, maybe we can just go a little bit into your process, maybe mm -hmm. give us a little bit of insight. I mean, I know I've, I've been listening, you did a great like presentation at the, at our shop and yep. we had a bunch of people come by and, and that was fantastic. But, but yeah, tell, tell all, all our friends here. <laughs> so I, I really, today I wanted to just kind of speak about sound. Um, you know, whenever we go, because we're all drummers, whenever we go to check out drums or cymbals or whatever, you know, we find something um, that sounds good and feels good to us. And, you know, I, I kind of corningly say, you know, when something vibrates us the right way, because, you know, cymbals and drums, you know, are a way for us to non-verbally uh, express ourselves. And when something feels good to us, then that instrument is going to make... Um, the other musicians that you're playing with and the people out in the audience feel good. You know, I, I had the, uh, you know, the privilege to work with a lot of great famous drummers, Adam Nussbaum's in the, in the audience here. And, um, you know, the one, the one common theme with regard to, to sound is you want to find something that it speaks to you as a player and then you can go and, and make music with it. And, you know, we're all using the same type of uh, material you know, sure. and you know, there's no moving parts with symbols. There's nothing to assemble, and it's just it's just this great mystery uh, <laughs> on how you achieve the sound. But you know, material, cup shape, hammering. There's only two ways to hammer a symbol. You have hammer rows, or the hammer marks are all over the place, symmetrical or asymmetrical. Uh, weight, lathing technique. Um, 
But the, the biggest common theme from my years and years of making cymbals and working with uh, different drummers is that you want, first and foremost, a cymbal that can kind of do all things. You want something that can, um, you know, have good stick definition, but also you can crash. And one of the things that Armin Zildjian taught me was every cymbal is a crash ride. <laughs> every cymbal you, can, you should be able to ride, every cymbal you should be able to crash. Um, you know, there's a lot of artists, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep pointing to Adam because I worked with him a lot. I've known Adam for 35, 36 years now. You know, you want, you want a clarity in the sound and you might want some dirt. Adam likes cymbals when you, when you shank them that they give him a higher note. Um, and, and all of these factors come in together so you, you can make music and you get your signature sound. Everyone feel free to grab chairs or move up yeah, in the front here. There's, some, there's a bunch of open, uh, open seats in the front. Sorry. No, that's okay. That's okay. Um, I've, I think it's kind of funny that, that a lot of people, um, drummers argue over cymbals. You know, the cymbals don't sure. make any noise until you put your personality into yeah. them, you know, uh, which is fantastic. So... Um, you know, the, the thing, I, I don't want to get into, unless somebody really wants to know, but techniques and stuff like that. It's all, it's all about you choosing the sound. And one of the great things about this show, because this is the first time I've ever been to this show, is that you, this is a renaissance in uh, percussion manufacturing. Yeah, you right know, on. Especially man. symbol making. There's so many great choices. Please go around, talk to all the symbol makers, and the one that resonates with you, play their product, check it out, support them. Um, because, you know, I have this joke, you know, what's, a, what's worse than telling your parents you want to be a drummer? Tell them you want to be a cymbal maker for the rest of your life. You know? <laughs> you know, it's like, how did the jazz musician become a millionaire? He started with two, right? Um, sure. <laughs> come on, Adam, you know that one. So, three million, yeah. <laughs> Um, so it, it's all about sound, it's all about you finding what works for you because it's going to translate to the audience. Yeah, man. Um, you know, certain, certain symbols are designed to give certain sounds and characteristics, but, um, you know, if you go and find something that has good stick, a nice, you know, crash sound, um, there's some bell there. You know, you don't want something that's too thin or washy if you're playing in a room like this because you won't hear it past the front bass drum hoop. Yeah. You know, if you're playing in a restaurant with a trio, yeah, those those things yeah, speak we, we well. Yeah, we were just talking about that. Yeah. Um, the other day. And, and the and then yeah, there's just infinite possibilities mm -hmm. with cymbals. <laughs> you know, people like to ask me, well, you know, how many hammers do you use? And so, I have two hammers. Nice. You know, that's all. That that's it. You know, and all of my it works. <laughs> all of my influence on in what I'm doing now, uh, you know, came from working for 32 years at a major symbol company, and all the wisdom that got imparted to me by you know Armin Zildjian, Lenny Demuzio, Leon Chiappini. Do you have, Ar do you have any like stories you can tell? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> I'll tell, uh, how about if I tell you a story about Armin Zildjian, and he, yeah. he taught me a lesson. That'd be great. Um, to not judge a book by its cover. Okay, and this has to do with sound, too. So Mike Mangini had called the company and said, I have the best special effects symbol. My, my, one of my students brought this symbol in, and you guys have to check this out. You have to make it. So he sent it into the company. It was in a plastic shopping bag. And the artist relations manager at the time, his name was Jim McGathy, 
Um, he got the symbol and he, and he called me up to his office. He says, I got that symbol I told you that Mike said that was just like we had to make it. And I went up to his office and he pulled the symbol out and it, and it was a brass symbol that was all bent up. And it looked like, you know, some kid had just pummeled the piss out of it. And Jim's like, yeah, you got to play this. This thing's great. And I'm like, are you kidding me? We're making serious symbols here at the company. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm, he's like, just take it. So I took it. And I walked back down into the factory where my office was. And Armin Zildjian happened to be in the symbol testing room with Leon. So I said to myself, I'm going to put this to bed. You know, what a, what a waste of my time. So I knocked on the door. Armin waved me in. And I walked into the room. And I said, hey, boss, I have, I have a symbol that I want to show you. And he said, yeah, yeah, let me see it. And he wasn't really looking at me. He was deep in conversation with, with Leon about something that happened in, like, 1967 or something. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so um, I gave him the bag, and he pulled the symbol out, and he didn't even look at it. And he asked Leon for a stick, and he hit it four or five times. He didn't say anything. He put it back in the bag. He handed me the bag and said, that's the best special effects symbol I ever heard. You should make that. <laughs> weren't expecting that <laughs> and I said you're right and I, and I made it the next day and it was the 14 inch trash former that ended up in the ZXT series oh okay yeah so don't, don't judge a book by its cover yeah you yeah. know everything's about sound check everything out give everything it's due yeah so um, so that, that's cool kind of story, a, a, a cool story <laughs> about that you know and it wasn't it wasn't a high end symbol but what, what, he, what he was looking at was okay what is this piece of metal what does it do and he played it Sure, sure. You know, so. Yeah, it's um, a very, and yeah, like everything has kind of its purpose. Yep. And, and with the drums and, and much more so than most instruments. Yeah. We, we have, it's so customizable, you know. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's really a, a great thing. <laughs> yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of great opportunities with a lot of great um, drummers. Um, Alvin Jones had come in and um, he had played some of the very first K Constantinople symbols. And again, I was well, in a room with him. So what, alone. when is this? What this is like nineteen ninety seven. Okay. You know? Um, and this is before they, they were introduced. Sure, and, sure. Yeah. And he had come in and we had him set up in this room called the orchestral room that had great acoustics. And I was nervous. This was Elvin Jones. This is like Moses coming down off the <laughs> sure. mount with the tablets, right? So, you know, I have these symbols set up and he, um, he played. He played the cymbals. And I'm like, I'm waiting. I'm on a little more trash, a little brighter, a little darker. I need thinner. And he plays and he put the stick down and he left the room. And I'm saying to myself, no, he's going to find somebody. Who's this kid? You know, go get me somebody that doesn't have <laughs> as many teeth, that's been doing it a little bit longer. And he was gone for about 10, 15 minutes. And then he came back into the room and I, and I said, Elvin, is everything okay? You know, and he's like, what? I said, you played the symbols, you didn't say anything, and you left. He goes, oh, no, I knew all the symbols were going to be good. <laughs> nice. I had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and he said, um, I like this one and this one. And then he, he went into this kind of this, this rant about, you know, when I was in the Army, I, I played this, you know, you know, half a crash symbol pair, like a band symbol. You have any of those band symbols? And I said, yes. And, you know, picked one out for him. And that was it. We were done. Nice. 20 minutes. Nice and quick. Yeah. yeah. And it was. He's off to the gate. It, it was, it was very strange. And, and, and so why am I sharing this story? Um, you know, he, it's, it's, it's him that's going to make the, uh, the music with the tools. Find the tools. Find the sounds that speak to you. Go make music with them. 
Yeah, yeah, that, right that, that's really the, the theme of my talk today. Yeah. You know, it's not necessarily the nuts and bolts, you know, how fast does your lathe spin or sure. what tools do you use or how many hammers do you have. Um, it's about finding something that speaks to you and play it and make music and create. Yeah, you know? man, right yeah. on. That's, so, um, Thanks for sharing these stories. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just, nothing quite like uh, get, getting insight into some of the great, you know, the greatest mm -hmm. musicians in history and, and how they approached symbols and mm -hmm. yeah yeah very they, cool they you know no one came in and said it has to you know be super trashy and funky you know they want something where they where they can you know lay it down for the other band members yeah yeah you know um i'm curious does anybody have any questions about anything yeah we can do questions yeah. um let's see what are we doing time -wise? we're good yeah we got about 10 minutes so um yeah just raise your hand yeah. And then actually, can we bring the mic over? So it's so a wireless here so that uh, everyone can hear. You know, some, some people <clears throat> asked me um, early on last year, you know, are you, you know, what are you going for? Are you going for that old K sound or what are you doing? I said, no, I'm just making good symbols that every drummer can play. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. I, want, I want people to be able to find something that they can play, you know, on their weekend gig or, you know, just maybe if they just play in their house or if they're a professional drummer that, you know, can be a workhorse symbol. Right, right. Yeah. So, Absolutely. So I'm not making old Ks. I won't, <laughs> I won't go on record in saying that. <laughs> sure. So when somebody's a new drummer and they get inspired by their hero, they chase after him, sometimes that turns into a brand loyalty. Oh, my favorite guy plays Pisces, so I'm going to do that or whatever. Um, can you talk a little bit about the value, pros and cons, if you will, <laughs> of looking to outfit a whole thing with the same brand, right? mm -hmm. the same label, or picking and choosing from all these different makers, you know? What's the value of one person buying everything from Royal or everything from Nicky Moon or one from each booth? Well, what you're, what you're buying is, is, you know, the philosophy of that maker, you know? You know, you have a trust in them that they're going to provide you with a, a quality of instrument so you can express yourself, you know. Um, if somebody's a new drummer, like you mentioned, you know, if they're going to pick out a basic set of cymbals, they have to have a ride cymbal where you can hear time, okay. If they're only going to get one crash cymbal, I would recommend a 17 or 18, uh, probably a medium thin, because you can also use it as an alternative ride cymbal, and then a nice set of, set of hi-hats. And that way, you, you can do everything with it. When, when I was at Zildjian and somebody would say, oh, my son's going to play cymbals, buy cymbals, his first professional set of cymbals, what should he go for? And most people would think, oh, you get to buy the, the most expensive, and that's never the answer. The answer is you want to buy some A Zildjians because A Zildjians can do everything for you. So you want to find those, those kind of uh, bread and butter symbols. Like versatile? Versatile right. symbols, yep. Yeah, yeah, right so that, again, back to my philosophy, with the, with the symbol craftsman, and then there's some new royal type of symbols. So there's two sound colors, there's a bright and a darker. You should talk about that. Yeah. So it it they're 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 for everybody, you know. And then the great thing back to me saying you know it's a renaissance of symbol makers. The great thing is that if you have some specifics in the sound on what you want, we can do that for you. So if you're really looking for a specific sound. We can we can translate that into the piece of metal. OK, 
okay? We're, we're some of the, you know, the major companies, um, they don't have the infrastructure to do that. You know, so now, now we can. I can provide the same service that I used to give to Adam to everybody. Yeah, so <laughs> did that answer your question? If sonically there's a reason why picking all symbols from one maker helps them blend better, or does that really not even matter? If no, because you want colors. So you might find a, a color over here from another maker that, that will fit in. I mean, we, we're all making symbols from the same alloy, you know, and our personality is coming through it. So, um, you know, I was taught, um, you know, when, you, when you're helping somebody pick a set of symbols, you want to make sure that they don't pick all the same um, sound. So if they're picking right, right, three yeah. or four crashes, you don't want all bright crashes. Contrast. Want, yes. Contrast. You know, or, or, you know, a china or a splash or a trash crash, something like that. So you can express yourself because we don't sit here and we don't talk like this because we're not robots and when we play drums, we don't want to play like this. So, so that's what you want to do. You want to pick colors. Yeah. Any, any other questions? We don't have too much time. Right up front here? Hey, good to see you. Yeah. You're up. Yeah. Hi. Uh, he's got the mic for you, so make sure uh, you don't feed back there. Yeah. There we go. Can people hear you? There we go. Can anyone? Here we go. Now we hear you. All right. Go ahead. All right. Um, testing, so testing. I found, uh, so I know one big thing that's changed in rec recent years relatively is that quality control is very high nowadays. Um, things are consistent, things are really good. I've played some really cool old cymbals that are asymmetrical, not in their hammering necessarily, but in their actual shape. So like a bell that's like half, you know, not nicely shaped, or maybe the edge of the symbol is curved on one side. Are you talking about do the you, old K's? Old K's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or honestly, it could be anything. But do you have any experience in experimentation of purposefully doing that? Um, and if so, have you been able to get any kind of consistent sound qualities out of, out of that? Well, if I'm trying to recreate something that somebody's referencing, you know, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. So uh, for 10 years, I had the symbol in my office that Tony used to record the Nefertiti album. Tony gave it to Wallace Roney, and Wallace and Vince Wilburn brought it up to Zildjian. Now that symbol has a hook in the edge, hooks down just a little bit, and then the, the cup is, it's, it's like crooked. Yeah. Because they used to put the cups in over That's... in Turkey with sledgehammers, or two guys with sledgehammers. That's why each, each K that was made was very, very individualistic. Yeah. And, and, a lot of the early A's from 1930 up through probably, you know, the mid-60s were very, very individualistic, too. So if, if you're looking to capture a certain sound like that, yes, it, it, it can be repeatable. Um, it's, it's nearly impossible to make something identical in sound. You know, even, even with Peisty, where they say, you know, everything's very, very close, they're not. You're, each, each piece of metal you know, reacts just a little bit differently no matter how consistent the blank is. Um, so, can, can you reproduce something like that? Yes, sure, if that's what you're looking for. Will I focus on that with, with my symbol making to kind of 
send out to the dealers that are buying symbols from me. Not sure yet, but if there's a request, I'll do it. You know, I'll, I pretty much say to anybody that <laughs> talks to me, I'll make whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, perfectly answers that question. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Wonderful. Any, any more questions? We got a lot of people. One over here. Yeah, this is great. This is really great because this, yeah, this goes to the, the visit to the store. <laughs> sure. So I sent an 18-inch blank, and I, I was planning on making a um, crash ride, just a general-purpose 18-inch crash ride, and just say, okay, this is how I hammer a blank. And sometimes the metal um, doesn't behave. So I, I, you know, it, I was working it, and I was using your anvil and hammers and stuff, and um, the shape came up just a little bit higher than I wanted, and I said, you know what? This is going to be a really, really great kind of Bill Stewarty style 18, and that's where I took it. Um, most of the time, when I aim to make you know five 18-inch crash cymbals or five 22-inch cymbal craftsman crash rides, they 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 come out. You know, I have I have a template to make sure that um, it kind of stays in the area that that I want, but. The, the thing about symbol making, and especially with the blanks, when they anneal them and then they, they quench them in the tank of water, each one, even if it's a batch that's in the oven, each one is not exactly the same thickness, so it doesn't quench exactly the same way. So a softer blank, um, you know, is going to behave differently than one that's not as soft as the one that you just worked. So, um, you know, th there's always kind of a plan, but they're still individually made. Um, so. And like, don't fight with the metal? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, don't, well, don't order blanks and then let them sit around for a month because then you're fighting with the metal. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about that. One, somebody contacted me and says, oh, I have these blanks. I'm like, how old are they? And he said, like, three years ago. <laughs> nope, not even going to attempt to hammer those into shape. We can probably so. go a little bit late. We, we have a minute left. Listen, Dude, I want, I want my full 30 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> right. I want my time. Yeah, don't. And then, everyone, just so you know, tomorrow at 12, all the cymbalsmiths are going to be over in the uh, the upstairs area in the main building, and then we're going to have like yeah. some treats that's uh, from Maxwell Drums. And right. so, if you want to talk to everyone, uh, yeah. we'll see how many people show up. But that'll be a way to get a little bit, you know, one on one time. Yeah, you, you definitely you want to go and see everybody. You want to yeah. go and see everybody. So, but yeah, any any more quick questions, Joe? Yeah. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> well, you can, it, with a brand new symbol, you can get about 90% there. You get in, get in the ballpark. What happens with the metal is that age hardens over time. So the, what I just mentioned about a blank being quenched, so 80-20 when it's rolled, it, it's like glass. If you drop it on the floor, it will shatter. It's super, super hard. So you anneal it, and then you quench and soften it down, and then you, you hammer it and lay the, do all those processes. The hammering you know, you're putting the strength back into the, the blank, but you had to soften it down in order to put the strength back into the blank. So in the first 48 hours is the biggest change uh, in sound. If you were to hear a cymbal right off of a lathe, you probably wouldn't play it. It's, it's dull. 
you know. So in the first 48 hours, it starts to, it starts to open up or stress relieve. And then slowly over time, the metal continues to get harder. A lot of, there's a misconception that the metal gets softer, which is not the case. It gets harder. And older cymbals are easier to play because you don't have to put as much energy into them. But I have taken really old cymbals and uh, made duplicates of them. And over time, they will um, start to resemble the, the original one, you know. Well, it, it, it can, you know, it, it change, it'll change a lot in a year and stuff, you know. But if you, listen, if you have the same bell, same curvature, similar hammering, you know, similar weight spec diameter, you're pretty much there. You know, if you're afraid to take out an old symbol, you know, one of us can, if, if they're willing, I don't want to volunteer anybody that doesn't want to copy old symbols. <laughs> But you, you can get there. I've, I've done it quite a bit for people. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so one last thing. Uh, any cool new things we can expect in the, in the future here? That's well, usually my last question. So, so. so this show, we're debuting, you know, kind of a brighter sound, and they're right. marked Royal Symbol. So the name of Everyone the company go to the is booth. Royal. <laughs> yeah. um, um, and under that umbrella is both Royal, a Royal Symbol, which, which is, you know, you kind of um, bread and butter type of sound and then Symbol Craftsman, which came out last year. And for legal reasons, the royal thing couldn't happen until this year. Oh, I see. Um, <laughs> so Symbol Craftsman is more of your, your um, you know, darker kind of complex um, random hammered symbol. And, um, you know, if you want something specially made, it would be a, a Symbol yeah. Craftsman, yeah. Yeah, check out you the know, booth, yeah. Like, please come by, you know, the Royal Symbol Craftsman booth. I, you know, Sarah couldn't be here, my, my business partner, but she's very, very knowledgeable about symbols. So please go and, and speak with her as well. And please go visit all the symbol makers here. This is just amazing. Right on. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> great, uh, great job, man. I'll see you. We can, we can probably just move right on to the next here. So we got Mike Mangiello here. And uh, yeah, this guy, I've, play, I've played a bunch of your cymbals actually. Oh yeah? Uh, for whoever was here uh, for Eric Binder early, earlier, he introduced me to some of your cymbals and they were really something. Oh thanks, yeah, he said he had brought some stuff over to the yeah. shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's cool. So uh, just tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a cymbalsmith from Philadelphia. Uh, I originally started self-taught about about four and a half years ago after a bunch of research and the same story as everybody else sure. who, who makes symbols. I was obsessed with a certain kind of sound uh, or, or idea and I looked around for a long time and couldn't find it and found that there were people making symbols. So right. I, <laughs> I decided to try it out. I started in um, uh, only working in stainless steel. Okay. Uh, I made an anvil and I uh, I chopped up some hammers and uh, and I I knew I could get stainless steel at the time uh, a little bit cheaper than bronze. Uh, maybe not anymore these days, but uh, sure. Uh, and I didn't want to ruin like a ton of bronze, you know. So I said, uh, let me try this out. So I, I did about a year of all stainless steel. Okay. Uh, and then I started ordering bronze and uh, caught some attention from some people, including this guy, Francisco, who uh, <laughs> it's amazing that Francisco was able to be here. That's uh, Francisco Domene from, from Brazil. Uh, he uh, 
invited me to his factory in, in uh, Brazil, and I, I did some training with him. Very nice. Uh, I've also done some work with uh, Nicky Moon and, uh, and some work with Dave Collingwood, who's, it's also amazing that he's here. Um, so, uh, other than that, it's mostly just trial and error with myself and um, re wrestling somewhere between craftsperson and artisan and sure. what that means and, and where, where that brings us, you know? Yeah, yeah, you're, the symbols that I played of yours, they definitely had uh, like kind of old K vibe. <laughs> well, the, sim the symbols that you, that you played specifically were for... These are Eric's ones. So. Yeah, yeah, so th that's a series that I released on, in February called the Prestige Series. Okay. Eric Binder, I'm very fortunate to work with him as, as an artist with me. And he, uh, I sent him a symbol on a whim because I was like, hey, this kind of has a K vibe. Do you want to check it out? And nice. he called me and said, we need to work together. <laughs> so, I like it. <laughs> uh, so we developed some stuff. I went to his house and, and studied a big pile of broken Ks. And I don't do the cloning thing. I, I don't, you know, but I, I was able to sit and look at about 40 uh, of his symbols and sort of just study the curvatures and the bells and decide what I liked about them and what I didn't like and sure. I combined them into a few different models so none of them are a specific thing. Can you tell me a little bit about like the philosophy? Like what, what did you like about the old Ks? What didn't you like and how did you... Um... I, uh, so I didn't really like the ones that were super, super, super tall. Um, I, I tended to like the ones that had like the, bell, you mean? No, I mean the, like the profile. I didn't like the super okay. umbrella profiles. Okay, yeah, yeah. I did like them when they started to umbrella out. I, I, I liked the, the beginning of the umbrella, and I liked a little bit flatter, and I liked the smaller, shallower bells. And I know that uh, a lot of those were in Europe, uh, the, the shallower bells, and then um, we, we wound up in the United States, the ones that got uh, imported it to Gretsch. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Were, some of them have a G were on the, them. <laughs> some of the bigger bells, sure. the taller bells. Right. Um, but I, I liked the flatter ones, so I decided, okay, we're gonna do this series all hand form bells, which is stupid because now I have to do that every time. <laughs> sure. Uh, but uh, they're a little, very flat. Now everybody who plays one of them says like, oh wow, it's like a flat ride. I says it's not a flat ride. There's a bell. You can see it. But, uh, <laughs> but it's very flat, wide bells. Um, and what that gives you is a lower, lower tone, like a fundamental uh, low pitch. Fundamentally yeah. low pitch. It doesn't let the overtones get like crazy out of control. You still get your stick, but you get the presence of of having a bell. Uh, and uh, so that's kind of what I went for with that. And then the models were like, okay, here's one that's a little uh, lower. Here's one that's taller. And then Eric, like, there was a lot of those old Ks that you saw that had like a really wide bell, you know, like really wide. Sure. You, you look at them, you're like, wow, that's big. <laughs> so Eric would, uh, Eric likes those and he loves rivets. Sure. So sure. I had to buy a million rivets because, uh, uh, he wanted a big, big wide bell and rivets. So we, that was his signature, uh, ride. So, uh, I think I have a couple of those with me today, but, um, they were really cool. And then I experimented with how I wanted to do, do you, a patina. Do you have a booth? I do have a booth. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to. I haven't been able to come by it, but yeah. <laughs> I'm so busy always at the shop. But I'll, I'll be there. Maybe tomorrow will be a little bit easier for, for all of yeah. us to float around. And then yeah. you're going to come to the 12 o'clock thing, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, tell me tell me a little more about like how you originally got into like symbol making and music just in general. So for music, I uh, I am a... 
a jazz drummer trapped in the body of a punk rock drummer. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, I don't know how to play jazz. I can swing with my right hand, and as soon as you add any other limbs, everything goes to hell. Um, so I, I played in like punk rock bands, metal bands, doom bands, and uh, but I always loved cymbals. Uh, I, like I would try to make cymbals that were inappropriate for all of those types of music work. It was it was like I can't tell you how many high definition rides I had to sell because they just weren't cutting through Marshall stacks. I don't know why, but um, <laughs> sure. but I. Uh, uh, eventually, I started playing weirder stuff and semi-improvisational music, and, and then I was able to, to use some really cool cymbals, and uh, I mostly played zildjians, and, uh, and then I started branching out and playing, uh, okay, I'll try Peisty, I'll try Sabian, and, and then, you know, Minel had started coming to, to fruition after, after the Byzant stuff came out. And, and then Turkish symbols started being popular again, and, and so I, I was trying agops and Bosphorus and all that sort of thing. But then I wanted, I wanted custom symbols. I wanted people to make them for me, and I didn't know where to start. So I wound up buying a lot of, um, I don't want to talk uh, poorly about a brand or anything, but I bought a lot of Salutas because, I, uh, because the marketing campaign was custom. These are custom. And they, they were custom in that I could choose uh, finishes, uh, you know, that sort of thing. But they weren't what we all want. They weren't like, oh, does it have this vibe? Is it like this? Does it have this kind of profile? Does it do that? So I wound up getting rid of those and uh, nothing wrong with them. I, they just weren't for me. And then I started doing some research and hearing about Spiccino uh, and Matt Bettis and uh, Craig Lauritsen and uh, uh, his name escapes me, uh, Steve Hubbock. Man, that guy, if, if you want to see some weird stuff, Steve Hubbock, that guy rules. The avant-garde uh, of oh, symbol making. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Matt Nolan, who's yeah. amazing. That, and then all, all these people who are now in front of me, Dave Collingwood, Nicky <laughs> Moon. Uh, and I was really like, wow, okay, you can do that. Uh, so how do you do that? Uh, and the, the, the short answer is, Get, get, a, get an anvil and a hammer, and then you're a cymbalsmith. That's the short <laughs> answer. The journey is very long to good cymbalsmith after that. Um, but it, uh, it, it becomes your, your life very quickly. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Tell me some more about... Uh, I've seen a couple of your symbols, but some of the other other things that you're kind of you know. So my favorite way to make a symbol for. is to get a get a piece of metal, and when it's done, it's done. That's my favorite way to work. Sure. Um, but uh, for monetary purposes, I have released series. So, so you don't uh, always like plan ahead before. I you... don't. I don't always plan ahead. I like to improvise. Yeah, like jazz. Um, I love. <laughs> I love to improvise. I love. Uh, I love the symbol to just be what it's going to be when it's done. Um, but I, I do have ranges. I have a series called Workhorse, which is a traditional series. It's hammered and fully lathed and uh, similar to uh, what Paul was saying. It's meant to be for whatever you need it to be. Choose the bell, choose the weight, and it's going to do what you need it to do. If you need it to work in a, in a lower setting, if you need it to work in a higher setting, it's going to it's going to be a good canvas for you to work with. Um, I have a, a, another series called uh, 
I pronounce it Avare because I'm a stupid American, but it's Avare. <laughs> Avare. Uh, it's uh, named after the city that Francisco lives in. It's okay. a uh, mostly Turk symbol that has a, a singular spiral in the in the center and a little bit of lathing on the edge. They're they're kind of silvery, uh, drier, darker, a little funkier, but again versatile enough to yeah, yeah. to use in a wide range depending on on what uh, weight or or bell style that you go with. Um, so those are the two main ones that I started, and then I just released the Prestige stuff. I have some nice. other stuff in the works. Uh, there's some prototypes at the booth of what will probably develop into the next things. Uh, and I do have one stainless steel uh, with me. It's 30 inches. Oh, I want to try that. Yeah. Um, 30 inches. I find that stainless steel symbols, <laughs> everybody goes, oh, why do you need it to be that big? Stainless steel... <laughs> I, I started with stainless steel. I think that stainless steel is a, is, is a valid sound for cymbals. I think it's a really cool addition to cymbals, but they kind of suck. <laughs> and the way to get a good sounding, in my, in my opinion, in my opinion, the, the way to get a good sounding stainless steel cymbal is to make it thin and large in diameter because that's okay. how you're going to get the low tone and the body and, and the sort of musicality that you're getting out of B20 bronze out of that particular kind of metal because it's extremely different yeah. than, than bronze. So you can't approach it like, okay, you've got a 20-inch stainless steel cymbal that's going to sound a certain what's, kind of way. What's you know? lathing that stuff like? Wait, lathing that stuff is very dangerous because yeah. if it hits you in the face, you're in trouble. Uh, <laughs> it's also, I don't lathe steel to, uh, to remove material. I'll lathe steel... Uh, for for cosmetic reasons, and I'll also lathe it. Um, I'll lathe grooves into it um, to mess with the. There's a lot the more hammering, a lot less. It's mostly it's mostly hammering. Right. Yeah. yeah. And oh, then very uh, cool. a little bit of surface treatments and stuff like that. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, you know, maybe uh, give me a little bit more about like your philosophy with. Uh, just, I'm, I'm curious. So you're, you're hammering the bells in, I think, right? Some Have of them. You, the you Prestige series, I always hammer the bell in. Um, and then some stuff, if I just feel like it, I'll hammer the bell in. Or if I'm going for a certain size that isn't available from, from the manufacturers, from the, uh, excuse me, <coughs> from the foundry. Sure, sure. Uh, but I, I mostly, outside of that series, will use pressed bells. And do you, uh, you don't have to say, but where do you get your blanks? Are they Turkish usually? I, I get tur most 90% Turkish blanks. I have bought uh, Chinese blanks. I had a similar experience to Ray Byrne. Sure, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, I've also used Brazilian bronze, uh, which is uh, very, very good bronze. And uh, I hope to work with that more consistently uh, but there, there's pros and cons to using both. Uh, like Paul said, it's all B20, but, but there's, depending on where you get it from, which foundry, there are subtle differences. Yeah, subtle. Yeah. <laughs> give, give me a slab of metal with the bell that I asked for, I'll be happy. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> very cool, yeah. very cool. So, um, yeah, let's see. You were kind of a last-minute addition to the show. You can actually come up for a little bit and hang out if you want. I'll try and like fit you in. Do you want to? <laughs> awesome! Yeah, <laughs> wonderful. I'll, yeah. Um, so, because yeah, Eric. Eric was talking about, and and you guys are buddies. So, <laughs> I'm sorry for the coughing, by the way. I just got over a chest thing. Oh yeah, no problem. <laughs> so yeah, Mike. Um, <clears throat> 
<laughs> we have water. Yeah. Do you want me to grab you one? Uh, no, I'm okay. I'll I grab you one. That's <laughs> right back there. Um, so yeah, uh, are you playing? Playing a lot of music these days? No, no, I don't play anymore. Uh, I I I said no for the first time to my like longtime guitar player. I said you want to play? No. Oh yeah, just leave me alone. Too busy making cymbals. Uh, yeah. Well, making cymbals, and you know, uh, while I have made millions and millions of dollars from making cymbals, I uh, <laughs> thanks thank man. You. Uh, I still just for fun bartend three times a week. Uh, oh, cool. Because, <laughs> uh, because I need to pay my rent. Uh, sure. So, so I uh, I don't have a ton of, of free time, and uh, you know I've, I've I was a career bartender almost 20 years. I still do it. Uh, and playing in bands forever and now hammering things six inches from my face hours and hours a day. <laughs> you know what? I kind of don't want to play drums right now. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, uh, I, I want to I play video games and sit in my house when I have some downtime. <laughs> some free time. Right, but, right. Uh, but, you know, I, I assume at some point I, I do see myself only making symbols within the next uh, few years, I, I do see that we're, we're in that renaissance and we're, we're at a point where I think a few of us will be standing on our own. Uh, and yeah, I, ho- I hopefully will be one of them uh, with, with some tenacity. At that point, when I have a little bit more free time, sure. I, may, I may get back into playing again, but we'll see. Yeah, do you have any advice to people like looking to, to find a symbol for themselves? Like, like uh, any, anything when you know, like strategies or whatever, whatever you want to call it. I mean, when, when I look for a symbol, I, uh, I, I was kind of, so you don't get into making symbols unless you're a symbol nerd. <laughs> sure. You know what I mean? So I've owned a lot of symbols and I was always the kind of guy, I would buy a new symbol for every project. So like if I have a new band, I'm selling what I got and getting new symbols. Okay. You know what I mean? Like I'm if I'm if I'm going from a punk rock band to a metal band, I need a different sound. Sure. You know, I need a more present bell. I need a heavier weight and a bigger bow, and I need uh, I need the crashes to be specific tones because I need them to pop out and and accentuate. Right. Whereas right. If I'm playing in something a little bit uh, like like punk rock like or contrast, something more yeah. or more avant garde or something, I I can go washier and things like that. So for me, it's like. Pick your symbols based on what it is you're playing. Don't chase the sound that you think is the perfect sound because it does not exist. <laughs> sure. Like the perfect sound does not exist. There's no such thing as a perfect symbol. There's there's not even such thing as a bad symbol. Right. There are poorly made symbols, but one of you may select one of those poorly made symbols and it works exactly for what it is that you want to do. So, yeah. to me, it's like choose choose symbols for what it is that you need to play. You know, have something versatile that you can bring around to lots of different gigs. If you're, you know, I'm not a professional drummer. I never was. Some of you are. You know, some of you gig a lot. Have something versatile that you can use for a lot of things. And then have something specific that is for whatever. Okay, I need this because I gig on five times a week for this sort of thing. But I have my band where I write my kind of music and I need some funky stuff for that. Have that. That's my, that's a long-winded... I always say, like, for me, it's like a relationship with each symbol. Like, Absolutely. You get to know this one really, really well. Absolutely. And that one's special to you. Mm-hmm. And then, you Especially know. with the handmade <laughs> symbols. Now, I mean, like, yeah, every yeah. single symbol that one of us makes, we're emoting into it. We're putting our energy and our, ourselves into it in order for it to be a special canvas for someone else to put what they have into it, which is then leaving the symbol and giving something to the audience. 
So like every single one is different and you're going to get something out of that. Yeah, man. <laughs> Very cool. So uh, yeah, we can probably open it up for some questions right now. First over there, uh, Jake, can you run the mic over? Oh, just to, by the way, while we're getting the mic over there, um, super big thanks for doing this. Yeah, and no problem. Like, hey, I'm, thank, I'm thank like you honored. To Steve Maxwell, th yeah. like thank you to, to be able to, to talk Rob. to all you guys. Yeah, yeah. Thank you to Rob I, for putting this on. Yeah, and thank you to thanks, all the symbol smiths who traveled from all over the world, <laughs> and thank you for including me. I mean, like just being included in this group of people, the talent that has been gathered here, like means a lot to me. And thank yeah, you guys man. for for coming and checking it out. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, question. Hey, Mike. Um, I'm I'm wondering. I know you went to Brazil to the foundry out there. Yeah. Um, when you went out there, did just seeing the process like change your perspective, or like what kind of did you pick up new techniques or kind so, of? No, good. Yeah, just kind of wanting to know how that experience went for you and changed, you know, maybe changed your. I mean, going and going to Brazil first off was amazing, but but going to the the factory and seeing it, it happen was very emotional. Seeing bronze get made was incredible. Getting to work with them was incredible. I'm glad that it wasn't a, that my first experience with a factory was not a Turkish factory because in a Turkish factory it's very, very different. Um, going to Brazil, these are people who love each other and care about each other. There's a lot of hugging and a lot of like having beers after work and sharing meals <laughs> and really caring about the product that they're putting out and caring about each other and being very welcoming and wanting to share those things. So, so it was, for me, it was just a super positive experience. And of course, I'm standing around with, with Francisco, who, who is extremely good uh, at what he does and being able to absorb some of what it, he does, not only because he's teaching it to me, but also because I can watch him work. And the same thing with everyone else that works in the factory. Everyone else that I see work, just like drummers are anything you see somebody work you can absorb some of that experience so watching any of the guys that were in the hammering room I can see what is the arm doing what is what is what's the outcome here what are the guys in the lathe doing you know yeah. and uh, I, I think that whether you're in Brazil or New Jersey or Pennsylvania being exposed to as many different styles uh, as possible is important because <coughs> excuse me because you're going to be able to assimilate that into you, and then that'll be part of your style, you know. Yeah, man. Thank you. Yeah. Even on that note, Mike. Yeah. Do you want to? Yeah. Do you want to take a couple minutes? We'll just come up, just for. I. We don't have. We're very limited in time because. Yeah. So let let him speak. But yeah, just just for a minute. Yeah. You guys are buddies, so I have perfect timing. <laughs> sure. Thank you, guys. Good to meet you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, Mike. Yeah. I'm gonna be over. I'm gonna be over to the, the booth for sure. And then everybody, uh, you can come talk to him uh, at 12 o'clock tomorrow. Everyone's gonna be there. So if you want to have any more questions, uh, that's that's the place to go. Okay. Yeah. So just tell me about uh, you. You've got a foundry that. Yes, I got a foundry. Yeah. yeah. Tell me. I, tell uh, me the story. Okay, uh, <laughs> let's fight with the language. Uh, <laughs> sure. So um, I have a foundry. I have a. A control of the whole process of the symbol making from the picking the raw material and uh, melt down, make the ingots, uh, rolling and uh, press bells and uh, hammering. I have a machine hammering, hand hammering. I was trained by Mustafa Drill okay. in Turkey. Um, I, 
I travel a lot of times to Turkey. Yeah. And uh, I'm very, very, very uh, close from Mustafa. Um, I'm training and always uh, share all the information I have. I, it's not, I don't keep secrets. No secrets. No, no. Uh, Mike, <laughs> while staying uh, in my factory, okay, come the melting room, let's see how it's made. Because it's a, a kind of a cake recipe. Mm -hmm. uh, I can, you know, all the ingredients, but the way you made will make it different. Mm -hmm. Then when you, you, you get a, a, a sheet of bronze, okay, what am I doing? And uh, start hammering and get shape and, you know, you, you put your personality. Sure. Uh, and the most important thing that uh, the people a uh, little bit forget in these days is that um, what matters is the sound. It's a musical instrument. So uh, it, I don't care if I, I bronze or uh, stainless steel or whatever. If if the sound is correct for you, that's matter. Sure. <laughs> so th this is the, the, the main main goal uh, I'm I'm searching for and uh, I'm going it. So how how did you get into symbol making originally? Can you tell me a little bit about your, okay, your story? Okay, uh, I'm, I'm I'm making symbols since uh, 2000, so okay. 23 years, and yeah. uh, I was a drummer. Okay. Um, I'm, look, my symbol. How do I make the symbols? And uh, I I didn't found nothing. And did you uh, start out with? Uh, do you have Zildjians or maybe? Yeah, Zildjians and Sabians and uh, B8 crap from Brazil. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I'm I'm get it and start hammering and anyway uh screwed everything and <laughs> starting to understand a little bit of the the shapes and acoustics and then i starting buying blanks from turkey um uh, and okay now i know how to make this but i i want to make my own bronze because i need to control uh everything i want to and uh this is the, the craziness and uh, become obsessed. Sure. When was the first time you went to Turkey? Uh, mm, good question. Uh, 2009. 2009. Nice. <laughs> That's incredible. And then when did you start the, the foundry? I started foundry five to six a year ago. Okay. Wow. Very cool. Yes. Do you have, uh, do you have a booth? I don't have a booth, uh, but did I, you bring any I symbols? bring some things. Great, great. I, I definitely have to have to scope them out. Nice. Because yeah, I've heard good things. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I always uh, see myself like a, a man uh, swinging a hammer. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I believe uh, now people are saying that I'm a master symbols meet. Oh my God. <laughs> so it's a kind of uh, fun and uh, it's a very nice uh, recognizement. Yeah. Well, yeah, very cool. Yeah, awesome to meet you. Um, yeah. We could go for a little bit longer. It's about 2.30 now. We could do like maybe some questions. Anyone have questions? <clears throat> well, yeah. Let's... Uh, Nick. Oh, ah, there we go. <laughs> got a mic for you. He's got the mic for you there. <laughs> uh, how does it feel to see some of your students, um, you know, out in the wild here in the U.S.? Proud. Uh, it's amazing because, uh, you know, more, I always give information. More information you have, more unique you become. 
and the drummers and the music just again. It's just win. And I'm um, very proud, very proud of you, uh, Mike and uh, Philip also that's uh, from Canada and uh, everybody that's studied with me. And I have some closest friends in Brazil, uh, Marcos from Argentina. Uh, he was my first student and he's very good, very good. And I have a uh, Bruno Shell and uh, a lot of people down there doing uh, good stuff too. I think I might actually know one of your students. He came to the shop just recently, actually. This, this reminds me, yeah. But yeah, well, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> okay, so thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah any, more, uh, any more questions from anyone? <clears throat> oh, there we go. <laughs> hey. Yeah, I'm, I'm just curious how difficult it is to source your metals. You know, because there's... Um, it, it definitely feels like the symbols now don't sound like the old symbols. So I'm wondering, is there just like something that you can't, you just can't get anymore? No, actually, uh, for example, the copper, uh, mostly the copper we use is the recycled. And the uh, way we do castings and the, the whole process uh, changed. Uh, during the, the, this time, uh, everything becomes more clean. And uh, more clean we can become, I uh, believe, uh, lost a little bit of the personality. You know, if you want a, a dirty sound with the inlays and the symbol that the people by looking at, not hearing, uh, it's uh, without soul, you know? Oh, this is my approach. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And then, I mean, old symbols versus new symbols, we've talked a lot about that today. There's also just the age of the metal. That's yes, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm always keeping saying this, that what's matter, the sound, you need to connect some synergy with the symbol, with the craftsmen that make the symbol going for it. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, Fascinating. Yeah, I, I talked to a, one of my, he, he, he's a guy from Turkey who makes symbols uh, for our shop. And he, he was talking about the way that the, um, whether it's, I think, coal burning? Uh, yes, uh, versus coal burning, if it's a electric. He thought that made a difference. We, we can get a charcoal burning uh, electric uh, gas and yeah. wasted oil. Right. Do you think that makes any, any difference in the way the metal comes out? Yes. Totally. Hmm? When, what do you guys use? Uh, we use uh, gas on gas, these days. Okay. But, Better uh, for the environment, though. Yes, <laughs> and, uh, we, we, we used uh, wasted oil. It's a mess. Yeah. Uh, uh, dirty. <laughs> no good. <laughs> dirty. And also, um, most of the Turkish companies use uh, uh, wood fire oh. to, to make the, the rolling process and the, then the tempering, pressing the bell. And we use uh, gas. Okay. It's cleaner, but a uh, little bit changing sound. Sure, sure. Yeah, every little thing adds up to, to the finished product. <laughs> it's a thousand things that you need to mix together and get a something. It's impossible to have two symbols uh, as this equal, the same. Sure. Impossible. <laughs> yeah. 
Awesome. Well, yeah, any, uh, one over here? Yeah. You know, uh, I just wanted to bring up a point. <clears throat> you know, everything can be done exactly the same in the process of making a symbol. But you got to remember, when that metal is gone through the ovens and it's put through the rollers, it's going to achieve a different grain every time depending which way it goes through the roller. That's why you could get like 20, 18 inch medium thin crashes where the process of the manufacturing is identical, but they're all gonna sound different. Because there is still, like wood, there's grain, grain in the metal, so. And you can And that whole thing with old and new, I mean, I heard stories of like in Turkey, they'd go out into the fields and just get artillery shells and throw that shit in with the mix, or whatever they could <laughs> find, man. You know, you never know what was going to be happening. Imp you know, it's basically an 80-20 thing, but <laughs> there's still that X factor in there, you know, so it's <laughs> something that happens. Yeah. And, and during the manufacture, there are some things that we cannot control. The grains, the uh, mature, the bronze, uh, the pressure that you put in the lathe. You can remove the certain amount of material, but you can control where. Kind of. So when you order a, a symbol by weight, no, no, because the the weight must be uh, in a certain way that it explodes and uh, the crash is more more open. And for example, uh, 100 kilo uh, grams uh, crash. If 90% uh, of the weight is still in the bell, it will sound different than the edge. Sure. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, gram weight. I always, I mean, at the shop, at shops, we use it for inventory. inventory. Right, right. But it's not like a tell-all. Just because it's a light symbol doesn't mean it's going to be great for jazz. And if it's a heavy symbol, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to cut through very well. Yeah. Nice. But anyways, yeah, we should probably oh, probably you. move on. Oh yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for thank you for, thank you for, thank you for coming. We got Nikki Moon. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. <laughs> All right. Everyone having a good time? Yes. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. The show's been going well. I haven't really been able to go over there much, but I'm headed there. Yeah. That's right. I'm working hard up here. You can tell. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but yeah, so um, tell me a little about yourself. Like, like how'd, right. you, how'd you get started? Well, I was, uh, I'm almost 42, so I've been playing drums since age six, so it's been a while. Um, sure. I grew up where, where in Boston. Where are you from? I'm Boston. from Boston. Yeah, yeah, I grew up about 30 minutes from the uh, Zildjian factory. Cool. And I always wanted to work there, and I just could never get in, you know? <laughs> Back then, they just, Paul Francis told me, he's like, unless somebody died, you know, you weren't getting in there. <laughs> sure. Um, but I was just always fascinated with cymbals. That was my favorite part of playing drums. I just remember looking at them and just wondering, because it was so mysterious back then, you know? There was no information about any of it, really, other than marketing, so I was always curious, you know? One day around, I don't know, 2011, I found Craig Lauritsen's website. Okay, just, sure. Boom, lightning bolt, like, it's possible. You can do it, you know? You don't have to work at Zildjian. And then I just started experimenting, and 
Awesome. From then till now. Very cool, very yeah. cool. So yeah, tell me a little bit about like your first, uh, you know, first experiments. Like, did you start with hammering or did you get a <laughs> yeah. lathe or? I, no, this is, what well, uh, I spent from 2011 to 2016, just kind of on and off, just kind of messing around, not super serious, kind of like a hobby thing. Sure. Uh, the first time I took a Sabian B8 Pro, I put it on the, the concrete floor on my parents' porch and took a regular, you know, claw hammer and just sure. <laughs> crack. Let's, let's see what know. happens. <laughs> All right. Lesson one, that doesn't work. Okay, you know, I, and then it, I refuse to lay the B8s. Yeah, it's I, not fun. It, it like, it turns blue and it gets hot. Yeah, you gotta slow down the speed off, and you yeah. can use a little bit of WD-40 on it. Yeah, <laughs> then that, that it smokes. Keeps and, it cool, yeah, then yeah. it stinks, yeah. And then, and then it, you get chatter really easily. And it's tough. I've done, I, I turned like, I've turned a couple like, uh, broken hi-hats into splashes uh -huh. for people and it just <laughs> the thing about b8 lathing i found is if you do it like without switching back and forth to b20 enough you kind of get the feel for it yeah. but then if i go back to working on b20 stuff for a while the first b8s i do i get those splinters again for yeah. a while and i'm like right. yeah b20 is like butter butter yeah when you it's lathe way better it's literally like cutting butter yeah it's, it's nice it's really it's, nice it's, yeah, you really appreciate it once you you know try right. to do something else yeah definitely sure. yeah but uh, awesome, yeah, do you want to talk about this that you brought here? Yeah, And, whatever, and then maybe whatever, like kind of your process, what, what makes your symbols, uh, you've got a booth, right? I have a booth, I'm uh, awesome. 13, I think. I haven't been to it yet, but I definitely yeah, I'm will. Sure you'll make your rounds when this thing's done. Right. <laughs> um, well, let me see, I'll, try. I'll, I'll very quickly shoot through the, the history of like, you know, I spent years kind of on my own, trial and error. Uh, 2016, I got in touch with Heather Stein, who was Matt Bettis's apprentice. We became friends. I flew to California. I spent two days with her. That was the first time I operated a cymbal lathe. She taught me, you know. Matt Bettis bit. taught me everything I know, basically. I saw yeah. He was our, yeah. he, he built, we built the lathe together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, and then 2018, um, I went to Brazil. I was the first American to go to Francisco's factory down there. Um, I went back two years later again in 2020. And then two years ago, I flew to Istanbul. I visited the Amedia factory, and also I flew to Samson, Turkey, and visited Mustafa Daril, who was like our, our symbol grandfather. Yeah. You know, of all the knowledge that came down to, to this clique. So, um, you know, I got a kind of a wide variety of, you know, info from the Brazilian, you know, way and my own learning on my own. Heather, stuff from Heather and, you know, the, the, uh, the Turkish stuff. So, very cool. Like an international soup. What's your, like, what, what's something that makes your symbols, like, what's a trademark, you know, like? I pride myself on making, uh, I, I'm the first, I think, independent symbolsmith that actually came out with, like, a series, like, an actual, I wanted to have models and series of lines. The one series that came out with about, I don't know, four years ago, three or four years ago. Um, I know Bettis did a few limited runs of, uh, you know, limited run lines or whatever, but it sure. wasn't, like, a dedicated series thing. Um, I've always worked to get that level of consistency that you'd get from like a factory thing. Okay. But with also that indie vibe, I'm kind of trying to ride that line. Sure. So a lot of my stuff is, you know, back in the day, all the indie Symbolsmith stuff was just dark, 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 busy, trashy, you know, as dark and thin and, and gnarly as you could get. And I wanted to kind of rock that pasty, pasty vibe a little bit, you know, okay. and, and work that consistency into the thing. So. Yeah, Matt's stuff, I, he, he's, I don't know if a lot of his symbols are like this, but a lot of the ones that I've ended up with are like kind of like some novel approaches to hammering, yeah. like really, really, um, you know, big, 
enormous kind of like clusters yeah, throughout the yeah, symbol. The kind of guy st he stuff had like that, that one. Yeah. Yep. So it's I call that a little bit more on the like leading edge avant-garde. You know, absolutely. Like yeah. It's not it, you, it's not like the old because uh, you know the the traditional way to make the symbols is uh, a lot of the times they're they're lathed and even if you it's even a little bit less traditional to like hammer as the last step. You know, you mm -hmm. laid that off as the last step, but. Yeah. But yeah, so so are you? Do you do stuff along those lines? Yeah, I mean, I, I like to kind of dip my toes in everything. I've uh, Matt was he also experimented with with bringing in some power hammers. He had a couple of old little giant machines, which um, sure. he used to get some really cool. I know that's like a dirty word, you know, power hammers. But like, it's oh, just no, another it's, tool that we use to get different stuff. Like sometimes happening. you'll do some hand hammering. Some oh yeah, everything yeah, is that. always touched with the hand to to get it just there. Sure. You know, you're never just going to use a machine. I mean, that's to me, that's crazy. But um, <laughs> he was a big influence because he kind of brought that hybrid approach to it. And I saw the, the, the power in that, you know, yeah. being able to kind of, again, ride both worlds a little bit. Right, you know, right. The mechanized stuff, but then the, the human touch. So, yeah. yeah. What, what did you bring? Uh, what did you bring to the show? Um, I brought mostly prototypes. I like to bring prototypes to, uh, to trade shows because that kind of guides like the next series. I see what people gravitate towards. Um, sure. Which, you know, it's a good... Like, is it mostly rides, crash, a little bit Mostly everything? rides because that's what people want, you know. Sure. I find. Um, not a lot of indie symbol customers buy crash symbols. They just, okay. You know, they want like big 20 crash ride things or rides and the occasional hi-hat. I brought one splash in China. Do you do um, like more thinner to like lighter weight stuff usually? My preferred weight, and I think the ideal uh, thickness for a symbol is, is like the medium thin range. Okay, sure. Because you can still have a versatile, articulate, you know, semi-bright if you want symbol, um, but you can also get into that dark and thin territory too. Sure. Um, yeah. It really kind of gives you the, the best of, of all worlds. So everything's kind of, you know, I deviate from that, but that's sort of like my sweet spot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, uh, did you want to talk this, about? Yeah, it? You're, you're the first ingot. guy to bring like. Uh, I brought a show and show. tell. Yeah, very um, cool. <laughs> I'm working on, uh, you know, I want to I want to keep walking sort of my own path with this whole thing. I've always tried to kind of go my own way, um, and uh, so I wanted to, to try working with a, a fully domestic, you know, bronze product because you know we all right now are getting our blanks from from Turkey or maybe from Brazil or from China or whatever. And um, this is metal from the United States of America, and uh, I'm working on forging this metal. This is an ingot, you know, which will eventually be a symbol blank and eventually be a symbol. So, um, awesome! It's an alloy that's very uh, similar to the the B20, uh, but the the preparation of it is entirely different, and there's the trace elements are a little bit different. So yeah, it's... I still don't know yet what it will sound like as a symbol because I haven't gotten there yet. But sure, we're on our way. This is a Probably about 2,100 gram, uh, probably about seven inch diameter ingot right now. So this would make, after breakage, you know, edge cracking being accounted for, maybe like a, a real thin 20 inch ride or something like that. Nice. You know, so you've like, got... It's pretty heavy. You can, you can feel yeah, it. You've got, you've got like rollers and... Uh, no, um, I'm going to be uh, forging these out the, uh, the way that the Chinese uh, make their blanks, which is with a, uh, a power hammer. Okay, nice. Yeah, because I don't have the electrical capacity in my workshop to run uh, a rolling mill. Sure. You need you need three phase at like I think 480 volts or 520 or something. So that's not that's not doable. <laughs> sure. I'll, maybe I'll get there. Maybe you know. So. Not that close. Plenty of 
plenty of potential there. Yeah, utilize that water power. Um, but that's kind of my, my ongoing experiment now that I'm, I'm focused on. You know? Awesome. I want to be able to deliver a 100% a domestic product. Yeah, yeah. You know? So right yeah, now I mean, it's just Zildjian that's doing that. What about, do, do you have anything, uh, any like advice for people when it comes to like choosing symbols that work for them? <laughs> yeah, don't buy stuff based on what looks cool or what, you know, you see like, oh, hey, Benny Greb's playing the Minel Extra Dry, whatever thing. Cool, that's Benny Greb. You're not Benny Greb, you know, you're you. So, you know, let's kind of figure out what you play. I always ask people what kind of sticks do they use because that tells me a lot. Yeah, about, yeah, yeah. You know, we haven't even talked about that at That's all today. That's a huge it's a good thing to bring up. Just, you can take the same cymbal and two different beads, two different thickness sticks, and it's just like a Very. totally different response. Yeah. The room is huge. Like when I hear my cymbals in a trade show hall versus in my workshop versus my, you know, testing room and everything, totally different. Right. So I want to get all that information up front so that when I'm making a custom piece for somebody, um, I deliver them what they actually need, even if it's what they think they don't want. Sure. It's my job to be the expert to tell them, no, you don't want that. You want this. Trust me. You came to me because I know. Trust me. And then they email me two weeks later, like, yeah, you were right, dude. Yeah. You do a lot of like custom stuff. People will come to Mostly, you for like a very yeah. specific, yep. uh, you know. I do a lot of commission work for people that just have an idea. Hey, I really like this, you know, Zildjian whatever thing, but I wish it was like this. You know. Okay, cool. Let's you know either take one of those and modify it to to that, or let's start from scratch and build it out. You know, depending how different they want it to be from that original thing. Um, and, you know, sometimes I'll tell people, they just will come to me and say, hey, I want, I want this Peisty 2002 thing or whatever. I'm like, well, just buy that then. Sure. I'm me, you know. <laughs> if you really like that symbol, I appreciate the business, but, you know, you'll probably be happier with that thing. So, yeah, yeah you know, right I want on. people to, to have what they really want. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, yeah, make the make the drummers happy. <laughs> yeah, but I've, I've always tried to, I want consumers to be, as educated as possible. There's a lot of BS and there's a lot of misinformation and, and wrong information in this world. Um, and I've done numerous podcasts and, and all kinds of social media stuff and whatever to try to give people the, the right information, the correct information so they can make informed choices about what they're gonna buy. Because these things aren't cheap, you know? It's, it's expensive, it's an investment, so. Sure. You know? Do you remember like when you started playing, like what, uh, what symbols you started with? Like what was your first set of symbols? <laughs> oh, yes. Um, <laughs> my first ride symbol was a no-name. It had to have been uh, like a brass something or other from the local music shop. Sure, you know? I've, I've had a couple of those. And <laughs> it, was, it was horrific. My first pair of hi-hats was the, and I'm not to knock Zildjian, this is, it's a, it's a budget product, but the uh, bronze scimitar hi-hats. Oh yeah, team, those we get those in every I still have tinnitus from those hi-hats. They're just so bright and sure. shrill, um, and I hated them. And then eventually, the first time I got cymbals that I really loved, it was right after Sabian released the AAX. I remember just being like, wow, captivated with those. Nice. That really, like, got my interests, like, peak. Yeah, Sabian does a great job. Yeah, yeah, they were just so clean. They were a little thinner. They were a little bit more, like, they weren't so loud. And that really got me uh, excited. So I For bought sure. a whole set of those. Yeah, yeah. The I remember watching them uh, hand hammering stuff at the Nam show, one of the Nam yeah, shows. Yeah, yeah. Charlie Brown. Yeah. Yeah, man. Living, you know, that dude's been doing it for like fifty something years, or whatever. For sure. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it was really something to watch. It's good. And that iron shoulder. They do that a lot more than Zildjian does. There, that's kind of there. Like the HH well, stuff. Zildjian doesn't do it at all. Well, yeah, like very. I think. 
like Paul might Paul have done, a done couple, it. Paul would have done it like secretly. Every for now people, and then. But he'll, yeah. I'll let you, he'll, he'll tell we you about that. We got a couple secret ones. For yeah, them, you guys right? probably got some of them special ones. But <laughs> for yeah. the Zildjian day that we used to do in New York. Yeah, yeah that wasn't something they could advertise, right? That's like then, prototype yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that goes against the whole we mechanize the process. Yeah, yeah, thing. you know, and I mean, they make really, really fantastic symbols. Absolutely, but. I'm not knocking them. It's just, a, it's a different, it's a different approach. I mean, yeah, that's the thing is like, since if you look at when they came in to the U.S. right, like 1920 something, post-industrial revolution, post-World War One, the American mentality was like, let's build a new America. Like they, he just Avidus the third, I think it was. He wasn't even a symbol maker. He's now in charge of the only symbol company in the United States. Yeah. And he applied that industrial revolution mentality to let's just start making stuff like, because we we're going to have a lot of customers, which they did. <laughs> um, and that sort of permeated the, 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 ever since then, it's been production based. Yeah. Right? Even for the Turkish factories, they're just like produce, produce, produce. Now, guys like myself are like, wait a second, let's serve the piece one by one yeah and yeah. see how far we can really take sound you know what i mean be creative and yeah, yeah and like how good can we really get and <clears throat> clearly you can make some amazing stuff when you are willing to take way more time sure than you should you know what i mean <laughs> yeah um it's not as profitable and hard hard work yeah <laughs> it hurts but it's man it's it's just nice to play hammering something. will make your <laughs> make very yeah strong. yeah we all have like you know a little pain at the end of the day, but whatever. <laughs> sure. It's worth it. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you have any advice for like, uh, well, yeah, you should definitely stop by the shop later. I'd uh, love to. If you're around, uh, how long are you in town for? Uh, I'm here till Monday. Monday, yeah. yeah. We're open Monday. Okay. Um, so, yeah, if you can, if you can maybe. Uh, not too far. Oh, Maxwell Drums, we're in Glendale Heights. So, it, we're actually pretty close to O'Hare. So, you can like pop over on your way to O'Hare maybe. Okay. If you're, if you're, I drove. <laughs> From here... Yeah, 20, 25 minutes, yeah. Yeah, right around there. We're kind of like halfway in between the city and, and here. The, you know. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's, cool. it's nice. Yeah, we need a lot of space, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> drums, it's not like we're a little guitar shop. We, yeah. <laughs> drum right. sets take yeah, up a lot of room. Yeah, a lot of real estate, right? Symbols aren't too bad. They don't take up that much space. They're, they're hard to, to inventory, though. They're so hard to keep track of. <laughs> yeah, they all do kind of look the same. You know? That's the difficulty. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why we do gram weights, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> But, but yeah, uh, any advice to like uh, aspiring, you know, symbol makers? Yeah, be fearless. Um, just don't be afraid to break things, really. That's, that's the beginning, like, like Francisco was saying, like you just have to destroy things and then you go, okay, don't do that again. Um, the muscle memory that you gain from making mistakes, it, those hard lessons really guide you like to become better. I think if you shortcut that, you're never going to be as good as somebody who suffered a little bit like along the way to really earn their way through. So just be willing to, to stink at it for a while and you'll, you'll become great. You know? Sure. <laughs> Don't be impatient. It takes time. Everything that's worth doing takes a great amount of time. You know. Yeah, man. Yeah, I I make uh, symbols. I, I like modify symbols yeah, sometimes at yeah. the shop. I do have blanks, so sometimes I'll make some from scratch. But oftentimes we used to. It's funny we don't anymore. But we used to always have tons of old A's. Mm -hmm. But these days uh, prices, I think, for everything have gone up so high that everyone wants to buy the used stuff because it's less expensive. Okay. So I actually don't even do it much anymore. But yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'll like modify a symbol and it'll just be like total disaster. <laughs> I never want to do this again. But yeah keep with it yeah that's, that's uh, the best advice i can give you yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so 
so yeah, um, yeah, I, I can't wait to check out your booth. And uh, yeah, anyone, uh, anyone got any questions? Open it up for some questions here. <clears throat> Matt? <laughs> hey, um, you got a mic for you if, if you want, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One, two. Okay. Uh, Nikki, big fan. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> Nikki, I'm a big fan. And, thank uh, you. What was the most um, challenging piece that you had to make for someone, commission, whatever, and then you regretted letting it go? Like, oh my God, that sound was so nice. I should have kept that. Is like a main to, you know, copy off of or, or what have you. To be perfectly honest, I, I've never, I've always wanted other people to have them. I thought that was going to be a problem for me at first. Like, I'm going to want to keep everything. But I really, the, the, the kick that I get out of it is giving, making something awesome, giving it to somebody else and seeing their eyes light up and getting that email from them like, dude, you did it. You, did, you gave me the thing that I wanted. So, like, I, I just, I get it out of here. I don't want it. Okay. I want this stuff out in the world for people to enjoy. I understand. Okay. Yeah. Nice. I can't point to <laughs> what was the hardest thing I ever made. I don't know. There's been a few, you know, but yeah. Yeah. Hey, we got a couple more. I know you do some workshops and things like that for up and coming Smiths. Do you want yes, to talk sir. about that a little bit and maybe sure. what you have learned or gained from doing that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm out in, uh, I recently moved to northeastern Pennsylvania. I'm out in farm country. So I have a nice, you know, little bit of land there. It's, it's, it's isolated and I have a nice workshop space. So I started allowing people to come out and stay with, you know, in the area and um, do classes any, anywhere from one to four days. And um, I can take somebody with absolutely no experience and, and leave in four days with a set of symbols that they made themselves with my guidance and help, you know. And uh, it's been great. It's really, really nice to be able to sort of condense, like, all the, you know, my journey was tough, and, and I've been around the world to get all this knowledge, and, and I never had the, uh, the luxury of just in a domestic American teacher to go to, you know. It's nice to be able to give that to people, you know, to, to, to be able to contribute, and that's going to move the art form along. Like, one of my students... Uh, Dave Sagerton, he's running my booth right now. He's probably uh, my star pupil, you know. He's really taken to it. And just uh, seeing the level of, of joy it's given him in his life is just amazing. Like, it's just such a great feeling. So, And whenever you teach something, it reinforces what you've learned, you know. And even I'll learn stuff. Stuff will come out of my mouth. I'm like, I didn't even know that until I said it out loud, you know. So it's great for that, you know. But, but Chico Francisco, he taught me so selflessly he just was like he was so willing to help me that I have to put that out I, I can't just keep that that has to go out into the world you know um, he always told me knowledge that that dies with you has no value you know so um, I never forgot that yeah, yeah very cool do you, uh, do you, where do you get your blanks from? Do you get a lot of them from him? Uh, over from Turkey. I've, I've worked with his blanks. His are the best. Um, it's just, unfortunately, it's tough to get stuff from Brazil because the import-export stuff is a little tricky uh, right now. It's difficult, um, yeah. <laughs> but they're awesome. They're magic, man. He's, he's the best in the universe. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's a couple factories overseas um, in Turkey that, uh, that I get them from. Um, and different blanks from different foundries for very specific reasons. You guys were just talking about this. Um, 
the melting with charcoal versus melting with uh, induction versus sure. melting with gas, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. Uh, reheating the uh, ingots to roll them with wood versus gas versus electricity makes a huge difference. Like, so if, if you want a sort of shortcut to a jazz ride, get the old stuff, like the charcoal, dirty stuff, because it's just going to cut out like four layers of hammering that you they, have to they do. They told me there's like maybe one place in Istanbul that still does that. And most of them, um, most of them have switched over now because I think they're finally starting to introduce like some environmental regulations over there. They're like sure. way behind, <laughs> right? Um, but most of them are doing it. Um, also, I think for cost because I think coal has become extremely expensive too. Oh yeah. Um, like Bosphorus, for example, uh, they're still doing it with coal and wood. They, they're like they're never going to change that. Really? Oh, interesting. But it's tough. Like well, actually, know, one of my favorite rides that I own was from like the first round of Bosphorus that we got like yeah. 15 years ago. It was kind of right when they were real. I mean, they're not that, they haven't been around for that long. Uh, maybe 20 years maybe ago at this 15, point. 15, 20 years, yeah. yeah. Um, but some really good that's symbols. their vibe, you know, and they're sticking to it. I respect them for it. But um, yeah. it seems like most of the factories over there, they'll start that way. And then as soon as they're able to like, because, you know, like an induction furnace is not cheap. It's expensive, it's but it's very once expensive. you get it, it's Once you get it, it kind of pays for itself. You know what I mean? Sure. It, it ups the consistency and stuff. So I buy depending on what I'm making, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's, and it's good to have options, too. You never want to just have one supplier. Sure. If, if something happens, then you got to back up. So, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Any more uh, any more questions from the audience here? Yep, uh, we're on. at we're at three o'clock. We gotta. Oh yeah. Keep I moving along. We oh, got the next, past, uh, we're actually past three. Yeah, we got the next clinic uh, setting up. Yeah. Okay. Well, he, yeah, he doesn't start till four, but yeah. So we still got Matt and Tim. So. Yeah, we gotta move on. Now, yeah, okay. Thanks, All right. Hey. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, I really then, appreciate it. It's uh, awesome to be a part your, of this. So Matt Nolan, everyone. For, for Matt, do you have a logo for him? Is there a logo for him? Should be. I think so. But yeah, so Matt, how was, the, how was the flight over, my friend? <laughs> the flight was great, um, but my luggage didn't all get here until this morning. I got oh, no. here on Thursday. Did you bring some and symbols? the symbols came this morning, so I got them at noon. Very good. <laughs> uh, but I worked okay. <laughs> I'm... Uh, I'm familiar with some of your work. I've seen uh, you. You, do, you even do like gongs. You do all kinds of different stuff. If I'm not yep, mistaken. Yeah, cymbals, gongs, chimes, triangles, um, underwater percussion for crazy Danish people. All, all sorts. Sure, <laughs> very cool. Tell, tell me a little bit about how you first got into just working with bronze and and metal and everything. Okay, it started out, you know, as a drummer, like probably everyone in this room. Um, <laughs> Got particularly fascinated with cymbals around about 2004, 2005, coming back from electronic drums to acoustic. Mm -hmm. And just thought, oh, cymbals, they got so much interesting stuff in them, so much variation. Um, and someone had asked me to like, do a depth gig for a, a garden party. Just bring, I snared up on one cymbal. I was like, one cymbal? <laughs> <laughs> sure. So there was this quest for the one cymbal that would do everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I found an internet forum called symbolholic.com and learned a bunch of stuff from there um, from people like Mike Skieber and Johan van der Seeper, 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 Belgian guy, and um, learned about people like Steve Hubbach, Michael Peisty, Roberto Spizzacchino, 
Mm -hmm. um, I think Matt Bettis was starting up around a similar time. The two of us sort of sure. were uh, getting to grips with it and teaching ourselves, I guess, from little bits of information we could pick up. Yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I've seen some of your rides before. My, one of my good friends, he's uh, an absolute symbol fanatic, and he ordered one special from you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it was really something. I really liked it. Oh, thank you. Kind of had some of the old K vibes. Um, uh -huh. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about your process, like how you do ride symbols? Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess a bit like what uh, Nikki was saying, I source blanks from different places for different sounds or it's mm. different, different legs up, I guess, uh, starting points. So sometimes from Japan, sometimes from Turkey, sometimes from Germany, like the Pisces type material. Mm -hmm. uh, so starting from that and an idea of what sound the drummer's after, what volume level they play out, what genre it is, um, and maybe some references like oh you know like on this record or on this video on youtube sure um i'll you know select a weight and a size and talk a bit back and forth and um try to generate that that sound in the shape and the taper and the lathing and all those good things sure sure so so yeah the you, you use blanks from just all over yeah it's uh mm -hmm. it's fascinating yeah the and when it comes to hammering uh uh, what's your what's your like hammer of choice? Do you have like? <laughs> uh, my favorite is it's like a 32 ounce, just like a ball peen engineer's hammer. Okay. Um, it had a flat face and a round face, and I rounded the flat face some more, so I've got like a a shallow curve on that one, and then a tighter curve on the the original ball end. Nice. And I'll use both sides of that, and then I have a smaller one. What's that, did I say that's like 32 ounce? I have another yeah. 32 ounce and a 24 that I use for sort of hammering cups. Right. Or starting to hammer the cups. And then a bunch of other ones, like uh, more like a bladesmithing hammer that I use sometimes, which is like a dog head rather than a balanced one. Okay. Um, yeah, so many hammers. And then you definitely have to go into some more of these kind of, uh, you know, uh, avant-garde uh, percussion instruments, like uh, tell me the underwater. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> there's this group in Denmark called... Um, Beyond Music, and they have a project called Aquasonic, okay. uh, which started with this singer wondering if she could sing underwater. Okay. So she kind of figured out this technique where um, she kind of faces face down and holds an air pocket in her mouth, oh. and then exhales and inhales on alternate notes okay. <laughs> to keep the bubble in, yet keep producing sound. Uh, so they've got hydrophones in these tanks of water that these musicians are in. They've got like two singers, um, some custom instruments like hurdy-gurdy type things, like a hand crank that bows metal strings and then frets so you can play notes with them. I have to, I have to hear this. <laughs> yeah, look it up. There's lots You'll of have to show YouTube me. <laughs> videos of this. Um, what else? Uh, they've got like a hydrolophone, which is like a pipe organ, but it actually works with flowing water rather than flowing air and you sort of cover up finger holes, a bit like yeah. a flute or a recorder, and it changes the pitch. Um, they got an underwater violinist. Okay. Uh, and he has... <laughs> they, they are all transfigurants, yes. Indeed. Um, the violinist, he has like 100% carbon fiber violin. I think most, okay. most carbon fiber violins still have some wood parts in them. But he had sure. to get 100% custom carbon fiber ones so it wouldn't sort of swell up in the water. Right. Uh, and he has some of those um, 
like the glass balls. It's a glass harmonica that sort of spins around and you put wet wow. fingers on and it, they produce pitches. So what did you make for them? So they have a drummer and a percussionist as well. All right. Uh, they were using things like Tibetan bowls and um, like doombecks and things underwater. And they wanted a whole lot of things retuning and they wanted me to experiment to find instruments that worked. Because you put a cymbal underwater, it just goes clunk. There's sure. no sustains, no high frequencies. So we were trying to find ways to get your normal percussion sounds or a range of percussion sounds right. um, that would work underwater. And uh, ultimately the key was like adding lots of mass and making things quite big. So like the sound wave on the front and the back, they don't cancel so easily because the wavelengths are really long in water. Mm -hmm. So it's easy for things to mute themselves. Right, it travels um, forever, right? It's just... Uh... Yeah, but yeah, it travels forever so long as you can make the sound in the first place. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, and things like adding jingles to stuff, tambourine jingles all over the place helps like generate some sizzle that you otherwise don't nice. have at all. So we did a bunch of work with like a, a submarine sonar guy in Texas, like University of Texas, mm -hmm. um, and a normal air room acoustician from right. Denmark, and a bunch of other instrument makers and uh, figured it all out. Like, strange effects, like moving an instrument a centimeter or an inch to the left or right totally changes how loud it is in right. a small tank. Because the tank itself, because of the conductivity of the water, it becomes part of the instrument. It's not like in a room where you're kind of decoupled from it. Wow, that's very cool. Yeah. And then, uh, am I mistaken, do you make, uh, you've made like gongs that have like, kind of like diff different shape, right? Yes. I think um, I've seen that. I guess when I started out, I was try, trying to explore all things different and unusual. Sure. Um, tended to uh, attract the avant-garde people more than anything. Sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, I made like batwing-shaped gongs and... Uh, very cool. What else? Trying to think of the other shapes. I, one of the very first things I did was cut a broken cracked symbol into like the Batman logo. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, and that... That caused people to ask, oh, can you make me one of those? Can you make me one of those? So then I <laughs> deliberately started buying broken cymbals uh, to cut into this shape. But then some of them started to like flip inside out the inverted. Right. So I thought, okay, I need to learn how to hammer the tension back into these. And then that, that's, that's where it all started. <laughs> so the batwing gong, I guess, was a, an evolution of, of that, that symbol. Wow. Um, You're probably a kind of very cool sound, but different. Yeah, sort of a cross between a thunder sheet and a wind gong. Yeah, yeah. And really wow. good for bowing, getting all sorts of like spooky horror sure. film type sounds. Oh, I, I love, yeah. Sound, like creating sounds like that and using them in the studio, oh yeah, so much fun. Mm. <laughs> One of my favorite things to do. Yeah. We don't have too much time, so I'm just gonna open it up for questions now. Um, and uh, also, you guys can probably start bringing drums up if you need to, I, that wouldn't bother me. Uh, that's fine. So yeah, anyone, uh, any questions? Or Matt? Silence. <laughs> Over there. One sec. <clears throat> Matt, thank you for being here. I have a question about your chime making. Yes. When you are making the chimes, uh, where did you find all the formulas for the diameter uh, and wall thickness? and length of the pipe that you would need. Is this published somewhere? There are a couple of books out there, yes. Uh, one is The Physics of Percussion Instruments by Thomas Rossing. Okay. And there's another, there's an older one. Uh, 
It's called like Music, Physics and Engineering or something like that by Olson. Olson? Olson, yeah. Olson. Harry, Harry, Harry F. Olson, I think. There are okay. some formulas in there and you can look stuff up you know, on, on the web if you know the right thing to type in. Um, that and a little bit of experimentation, trial and error as well, really. Okay, and do they also address how to tune the overtones? Nobody addresses how to tune <laughs> the overtones. Okay. That, that is deeply secret stuff. <laughs> Any other questions? What would you recommend for somebody who's trying to get into that, for trying to get a specific pitch out of a percussion instrument? Okay, well, in general, um, I, mean, I mean, if it's a long thing like a chime, then the longer it is, the lower pitched it's going to be. The thicker it is, the higher pitched it's going to be. Um, if you put extra mass on it, like a weight on the end, like a cap on a chime, that's also going to lower the pitch, but it's going to lower the lower overtones more than the higher ones. It's going to kind of stretch them out. Uh, what else? Symbols and plates and things that bend are a bit strange. Um, well, I guess they're all a bit strange because uh, they're not really working like the other tuned instruments we know, like vibrating strings or vibrating air columns, where everything is like linear, um, you know, inversely proportional to length. Um, because metal percussion instruments tend to be vibrating in a transverse mode. It's not really elasticity, it's more stiffness that is the restoring force. So everything gets nonlinear and inharmonic. And um, what's the other word I'm looking for? Well, more related to like the square root of the length rather than the length itself. Um, those two books I mentioned are good, good sources. And there's some books by Bart Hopkins a bit more sort of DIY musical instrument making, but there's, there's some good stuff in some of his books. And that's more accessible, less sort of science and formulae. I guess that's it. All right, yeah. Another one up here in front. Uh, <laughs> Jake's <laughs> running around, he's getting his exercise for today. <laughs> so I saw in, uh, in some of your YouTube videos, and it's been a while since I've so I've kind of forgotten some of the detail, details, but I know you were doing heat treatments on things, and you're doing a number of the, you're doing that a fair mm -hmm. amount on your own. Yeah. Um, whereas everybody else I've heard says, no, don't, don't do heat, don't do heat. You're gonna, just going to kill it, and then we hear about like the foundry, you know, the foundries and and the big things there. What are, what is the potential for you know a random person with a workshop to be able to do heat sort of treatments? Great question. Okay, so. At the beginning, when you're making a blank um, or you're tempering a blank ready to hammer it, um, that's the point when you can relatively safely use heat so long as you do it right. You're turning something that is brittle into a malleable, ductile piece of metal. But then once you start working it, you know, hammering it or even lathing it quite hard, um, the metal gets harder and harder the more work you put into it to the point where it can become brittle if you overwork it. Um, and you can't really do anything, but certainly with B20 bronze, with heat after that point um, without taking it right back to a blank again, essentially, and losing a lot of the work you've put in. With B8 and B15 and maybe, I guess, brass and nickel silver, you can do a heating to anneal them afterwards um, to, uh, 
to bring out the, the overtones if it's got very dead from overhammering. But with B20, you just have to wait. You know, it could take a couple of days, could take a couple of weeks for the the higher frequencies and the, the dryness to sort of go away after the work. Does that answer your question? Yes. You can talk to me after. We'll go into more detail. All right. <clears throat> do you, do you uh, so? Do you like heat it and quench it? That's yeah, yeah. I start the first B20 blanks I used were from Germany. They were the Peisty style ones, okay, um, without cups. And I did manage to work them for a while without tempering them. Um, but if I wanted a, a more extreme cup, you know, larger or more curved, they would tend to crack from all the so if you if the, you the cold it. working. So I built a furnace so that I could temper them yeah, myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I still tend to do, you know, I'll, I'll buy a bunch of blanks in advance and when, as soon as you get them, you can work them, but a couple of months later, if you want to hand hammer a cup, you're at risk of cracking. So sure. I, I tend to always temper them before, before yeah, I start. Yeah, we were it, talking about that a lot. It makes life easier. Because like over time, they just, uh, yeah, they get like harder. Yeah, it's like an, <laughs> an exponential decay. Um, it's the metal's trying to move itself back to its original state and it'll, sure. <laughs> it'll do that quickly at the beginning and then, then slow down. And Incredible stuff, bronze. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's, all metals are constantly changing. You, you right. picture them as solid and you know, remaining the same, but certainly with things like B20 bronze, it, it's, all those molecules are moving all the time. The crystals, boundaries are changing. Right. You know, 600 years later, it's going to fall apart. There's not a lot you can do about it. <laughs> um, sure. But for that window of a couple of hundred years, it's a great symbol. Yeah, yeah. But constantly changing, very slowly. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, um, let, last uh, last question here. Uh, just kind of any new, really cool stuff you have, like that you want to tell everyone about. Something you've been working on recently, or just something that's really, you know, um, exciting. <laughs> gosh, is there anything interesting or exciting? Um, there've been some other people asking about underwater stuff. <laughs> sure. Like, there's a guy doing something for the San Francisco Ballet. Uh, he wants some like crotalis that he can dip on a pedal into oh, I love water. That. But he wants base crotalis, so that's getting Ooh. doubly complicated because they need resonator tubes, really. Have you made crotalis before? Uh, I've made uh, high ones, yeah, like uh, the top of the normal range sure. above when people need extra notes. Crotalis are very expensive. Yeah, that's one I wanted yeah, to buy some for the shop expensive. and I looked at yeah. the price and it's like, no, just for myself. <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. If I yeah. do get some, maybe I'll get them from you <laughs> one of these days. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll see. Sure. But anyways, yeah, and then if anyone has any more questions, uh, tomorrow at 12, you're going to be there, right? Oh, yeah. Wonderful. I will yeah. Thanks. Thanks for coming, Matt. Well, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Okay. And then we got, we got one more. We're going to have to be real quick. They're starting to set up for the, he starts at four, right around. That's All awesome. right, so, yeah, great to meet you. Great to meet you, too. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for coming. And, uh, yeah, usually just kind of start out by just telling me a little bit about yourself, like where you're from, you know? So I'm from North Carolina. If my... If you hear my hoarse voice, I've been trying to like speak over the, the volume in that oh, sure. showroom. So it gets loud. Um, yeah, it gets a little louder there. Um, <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, from North Carolina, and I studied music in, in school in, in Boone, North Carolina. Came out of that, did a little bit of playing and touring, and then decided I wanted a consistent day job. And so I I'd always wanted to build a snare drum, and long story short, built one snare drum. Was like, this is what I want to do with my life. Started a drum company, which uh, led me into working with accessories, which inevitably led me to cymbals, and that's where my 
headspace is nice. completely <laughs> right now, but I've, I've got a couple employees that... Yeah, I was reading about you. It sounds like you've done a fair amount of like studio work and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I was able to, fortunate enough to get experience doing studio work and touring work, and then I've just always had a love for jazz music and uh, a love for the lineage of music, and you know, it's, it's always interesting to me that you can find a drummer you really love, and then you can study what that drummer studied and sure. get kind of that that uh, golden thread that runs throughout all of music and you start to see how everything is connected and your <laughs> mind expands and yeah, that's yeah. always been my favorite thing about it so right on so so yeah tell me a little bit about your um like how you first kind of entered the symbol world like what what, what was the first did you modify symbols or were mm -hmm. you working with blanks what what did you do I started with with actually cutting symbols up to make weird accessories oh cool so I had a cracked symbol I had a metal grinder. Don't throw it away. <laughs> yeah, don't throw it away. Just cut it up. And I like hooked a little dog tag to it and started hanging it around different parts of the drum kit, kind of getting those white noise effect, nice. effects kind of things. And then um, I started reaching out to all my buddies, say, you have cracked cymbals. And that led me to, to continue to cut cymbals up and make weird things. But inevitably, I was like, I, I want to take this hammer and just see what happens if I just hit this piece of bronze 100 times. And then... What happens if I flip it over, hit it a hundred times the other side, and like that just started out this this snowball of curiosity sure. and seeing like how does this metal work and how is it possible to hammer this thing so many times and it's not cracking and it's changing its shape and if I do it in this way, it kind of does one thing and it it just it's a fascinating thing to to do. So it's been yeah, yeah, awesome. And uh, so like the the symbols. Do you have a booth? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna come scope it out. Yeah. I may have seen some of your symbols before, but I don't think so. So yeah, it'll be. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Can you describe like like the sound you're going for, or maybe like your you know something that makes your symbols like kind of special and unique? You know. Uh, I think I don't try to be special or unique. I don't really try to have a different take. I think I'm I'm just looking to see what's possible to create. And and my my head is typically in acoustic music. I it's pretty easy to find loud okay, rock sure. and roll symbols. So Symbols that sound a little bit more nuanced and interesting is where where my head's at. I I, I hesitate saying jazz only because there's like a lot of music. There's a lot of music that uses uh, interesting, nuanced sounds. So sure, like kind of like hand hammered lighter weight symbols, maybe. Lighter weight symbols, yeah. I, I started. Everyone's out, into them these days. Everybody's into them. <laughs> yeah. My I'm actually headed towards. I've had this idea in my head where I've been trying to flesh out uh, just how. The concept of perspective and how when we're sitting behind the kit, we hear one thing, but there's a totally different sound or a, a different sound happening in front of the kit. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, I, I'm living in that zone because a lot of drummers just approach what they hear and they're not thinking ahead to what is happening in front and how it would translate in a band situation. So sure. the very first time I was ever introduced to this concept was with the drummer Bernard Purdy came to my oh, school yeah. <laughs> and he was playing and I was standing right behind him and the way he hit the toms was weird to me. I didn't understand why he hit the toms so hard. And then he went back to the snare and the ride cymbal and it was like a softer volume and it didn't make sense standing behind it. And I asked him, you know, as a naive 19 year old, why do you play like that? I hope, he didn't, I, hope I didn't offend him, but I was like, why are you playing like that? <laughs> sure. He was like, well, I'm, I'm mixing myself. I'm mixing this drum kit so that it translates. Um, and yeah, I he's think, a great player. <laughs> great player, really yeah, like obviously him. like one of, the, one of the greatest, you know. And, yeah. Uh, that got my brain thinking about, is it possible to train yourself to think ahead of what you just hear behind the kit? So 
when I make a symbol, oftentimes, you know, we, we like to play symbols that don't like hurt our ears. So we, we will gravitate towards these thinner symbols, more wobbly symbols. Uh, but then if you hear those symbols recorded or if you're playing a live situation, it's like, well, that symbol sounds a little muddy. Like what I'm playing isn't translating. Mm-hmm. And so you start to think about what you actually need to accomplish the, the, the task of creating music with other people. And so uh, it's, a, it's a balance, too, because oftentimes people will say, can you make the Nefertiti ride? Or can you make the yeah. ride from this record? And then you're mm-hmm. having to think, okay, Tony playing that ride... On, with the recording equipment available of the day translated through my phone or my headphones and there's all these different points of contact that are changing how we are perceiving that sound. So you have to sort of think ahead, is it possible to make a Nefertiti ride that sounds like the recorded version but when you're actually in the room playing sure. it? You know, and it's, it's, it's a totally different thing. So it's, it's complex and when you talk to people you have to really... I, I try to get as deep as possible with speaking about the different terminologies that we're using to make sure we're on the same page. Mm-hmm. Like, are, are we speaking the same language? When you say dark or dry or complex, yeah, the, what do you mean? The words we use can right. be... <laughs> There's no dictionary of sound that says dark is this. You know, it's, it's all how we are perceiving it. And it's, oftentimes it's all how, how much... How, how deep our ears are, how much music have we listened to, how, how, how broad is the 